Hello there, friends. This is Spencer Michaud. And today we are going to be talking about the new moon in Virgo 1. Uh, and I have a very special guest today. I'm very excited about this. Today I have welcome. I'm welcoming today T. Susan Chang, uh, author of 36 Faces. I'm sorry, 36, 36 <laughs> Secrets. I knew I was going to screw this up, Susie. 36 <laughs> Secrets. That's You can tell how nervous I am to have one of my heroes here. Uh, so author of 36 Secrets, one of my favorite books on the tarot and the decans, and tarot correspondences, tarot deciphered, fortune's wheelhouse, one of the <laughs> great minds in the field. How are you doing today, Susie? I'm doing great, Smedzi. Thanks for having me on. It's actually my Mercury return today. Yay! Yay! Excellent. I get three of them this year because of the retrograde. So. Nice. Well, hopefully <laughs> we'll be able to, to channel, channel the muse and channel Hermes today in this talk, for sure. <laughs> Um, thank you for everyone who is joining us here today. Uh, please let us know where you're joining us from in the chat. If you have questions for myself or Susie in particular, please put them in the chat box and we'll try to get to those. Um, I'm going to shout out a few people here, Susie, before we get started. Uh, we have Azure joining us from France uh, saying, I love T. Susan's book Aww. about the Deccans and Tarot and 36 Secrets. Uh, Rachel Fletcher is coming here from Virginia. We've got uh, Andrea from Croatia. Uh, all these beautiful people in the chat, Susie. You're going to love this, this, oh, this crew we have here. Uh, Raven is joining us from Kansas. Jackie is stopping in from Texas. Lynn from Vermont. Uh, Lini from Indiana. So we've got Mortal and Wild here from, I believe they're coming from England. So um, really a great crowd here. Uh, and, I, and I know they're as, as excited as I am to, to speak with you today. So if I stumble over my words, my goodness. Oh, 36 faces, right? <laughs> I've, I've done the same thing. It's understandable. I hope Austin oh, forgives us. <laughs> right. Forgive us, Austin. Well, and, and we, you know, he, he is definitely another great inspiration. But I think that one of the things I really loved about your book was first of all your your grounded earthy writing style i really loved your voice in that book it was so great and and the way that you're able to contextualize all this information and make it practical and organized was something that you know my virgo stellium can appreciate you know? so so thank you for that yes thank you i mean that is the idea it's news you can use yeah. So yeah. Tell us a little bit more about your background, Susie, the, how you got into this work, some of your inspiration for the work that you've done so far. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I've come to tarot over many years. I was, however, a bit of a late bloomer. I, uh, I was definitely much more of a sort of straight ahead academic, good student kind of nice girl. Yeah. And <laughs> it wasn't until like college that I just caught wind of tarot because somebody had a deck. So it, and it wasn't until my twenties that I felt like I had permission to actually start trying tarot because, you know, far away from parents, community, family pressure. And uh, yeah, so tarot was with me, you know, since I was about 23, 24, uh, but, uh, but I didn't really go full, you know, out of the closet until 2015, I think. I mean, I went wow. through like two or three careers before sure. that. I was uh, in academic publishing and I was a food writer and, nice. you know, so all of which I still kind of keep up with at some degree. But um, but yeah, no, so, so tarot 
it's sort of like, you know, I, I realized there was a tarot community in 2015 and that all I wanted to do was talk about tarot like right. all the time. So um, fortunately, I had the chance to do that and uh, kind of went from making tarot cases, which was the like not dangerous part of getting into tarot right, right. and uh, to making um to studying the correspondences and then starting the Fortune's Wheelhouse podcast with Mel Moline, which yeah. was this huge deep dive into all of the esoteric symbolism of every card in the writer in the Golden Dawn tradition. And then out of that came Tarot Correspondences, my first book with Llewellyn, um, not counting my food memoir from 2011. Yes, that's Tarot Correspondences, there it is. the big blue book, <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> 777 for Tarot. There you go. <laughs> and, uh, and then after that, um, let's see, started the Living Tarot, the online course, and then Tarot Deciphered came out of Fortune's Wheelhouse. <laughs> that's basically Fortune's Wheelhouse between, uh, yeah. between covers. Nice. So, um, because we were, we could not figure out how to do a transcript. So we wrote sure. a book. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> and then the same year, uh, I think in, it was in 2019, I did a deck and walk, which is the thing these days. Yeah. And, uh, and out of that came blog posts, which eventually turned into 36 secrets, which is available um, at fine bookstores. everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. And that's about the miners, which are my personal favorite. So, um, so yeah, nowadays, let's see, I've got a lot of kind of newer stuff going. I've got a new book coming out in, um, in January from Llewellyn called The Living Tarot, and that's the book version of my online course. Nice. Um, I'm sort of in between cohorts of a course on Homer called God Song, which is basically reading the Iliad and Odyssey for magical people. Um, Where was that? Is- I wasn't even aware of that. <laughs> yeah, it's actually Jack Grill's course. It's given through... Um, he does it through the Teachable platform. Okay. That'll be coming up soon. I'm about to do... So there's um, another one that starts again soon? Yes, yes. It's starting okay. uh, in September. And then right. in October, I'm doing um, a mainstream tarot, sort of introduction to tarot for Atlas yeah. Obscura, which is going to be yeah. fantastic. I'm super excited about okay, I'm, that. Okay, I'm super signing up for both of those. So, <laughs> so you're going you're gonna to be... You're gonna be oh, my God. Fall there. <laughs> um, that's sweet that will um, be great i'll look forward to seeing you there and that's kind of like the big picture i don't know there's always other stuff bubbling up in spring i go, kind of go dark because i teach at smith college i teach writing okay. then but uh, but the rest of the year i'm around and about and doing workshops and presentations and talking to wonderful people like you excellent Man, you are so productive. This is so great. And and I want to say Fortune's Wheelhouse is such an amazing archive as well. You and Mel are just like these fountains of knowledge. And (laughs) I, I, I I haven't even begun to get my way through all of those beautiful podcast is over 200 right or uh yes i think so i think that's right and the thing is that like you know mel and i are the same we just like crammed before every episode yeah. and i listened back to them myself because i can't remember uh you know <laughs> sure. half the stuff i said i'm like you know sure. listening to the four of i'm like oh that's very interesting i should write this down <laughs> yeah yeah well and the deccan walk that you mentioned is really an amazing way to get uh familiar with these symbols as well yeah you know, yeah, that, that's something that great. I've tried to do with my, I've been doing webinars with the Deccans 
And that's, that's sort of been my, my Deccan uh, walk. And I, I understand that cram feeling where you're trying to yeah. just... Cons- <laughs> yeah, on day nine, it's like, oh yeah. no. Yeah, <laughs> I'm also, this year for Deccan walk, I'm doing poems of the Deccans, which is nice. fun, based from based on you know daily spells that I've written for those cards. And next year I might do talismans. We'll see. We'll see Very how cool. I feel. But it's okay. a great practice. So Susie, we've got... Your books, Tarot Correspondences, <laughs> Tarot Decipher, 36 Secrets. You have a new book coming in January. You have a course in the October for the Tarot, mm-hmm. uh, Atlas. Atlas Obscura. Obscura. And then you have a Homer and uh, course on the Iliad and the Odyssey. Coming. Yes, oh. yes, yes. That's uh, we recorded that over the last year. Where basically it was my job to. Jack is a wonderful uh, occult practitioner, and yeah. our idea was to read Homer for the sort of uh, connections to sacrifice, prayer, relationships with the gods, nice. all of these things you can use in your own um, esoteric praxis. But my job was to read it in Greek and to sort of get any sort of uh, insights out of the original language as possible. So you read Greek as well. <laughs> yes, that's that was my major in college. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. So cool. Oh man, I've got such a long way to go. <laughs> just you know, that's I see folks like you and like Austin and I just like, oh man, they they've just been able to do much wonderful work. But you know, that's a journey though, right? Where it and, is a journey. It's just diving down sequential wormholes. Totally. You know? Totally. Yeah. Um, okay, so we can find you at, what is your website here? tsusanchang.com. tsusanchang.com. It's the main sort of clearinghouse. Uh, also right. have an Etsy shop, but it's tsusanchang.com for most of everything if you're looking for me, readings and classes and all that stuff. Excellent, excellent. Okay, wow, that is that is amazing. <laughs> um, and and like I think one of the things that really stands out to me is the uh, your ability as a Virgo son, right? <laughs> Happy early birthday, right? Thank you. It's, it's tomorrow. tomorrow. <laughs> so yeah. cool. I'm glad you're spending your birthday week with me. This is so great. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, passing on a legacy and being able to, uh, you know, yes. pass on this wisdom for future generations. And man, what a gift that you've been able to give to everyone oh, here. So I, again, you. I told you I was going to be super. <laughs> so I, I apologize in advance, but. Well, you know, the the thing about Virgo is that we tend to just like sort of focus in, you know, on the book or the writing or the word for, you know, and stay in our hermit's cave for months on end. So the idea that somebody actually gets something out of it on the other end is incredibly gratifying. (laughs) Well, we're here to celebrate you at your almost your solar return. So thank you you so much. Um, All right, friends, do me a favor. Hit the like button on this video. If you're new to the channel, please subscribe. Uh, you can find T. Susan Chang at tsusanchang.com. Uh, if you want to support the work that I do here, there's a little dollar sign in the chat that's called a super chat or a super sticker. Um, that can highlight your question too. There's gonna be a really uh, active chat today. So if you wanna make sure that it stands out, that's a great way for me to see it. Um, if you wanna make a donation to the work that I do, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com. I did wanna alert all of you today that there is a discount on my Deccans of Virgo webinar for Virgo season. So you can get 20% off that recording. So check that out on the store on my website. And that's fantastic. I got a preview of it and it is just a wonderful deep dive into all of the archetypes of Virgo. Thank you so much. I feel like I was turning my homework in. I was like, ah. (laughs)
<laughs> how did I do? <laughs> so that fills my heart up because I, I, I totally relate to that Virgo grindstone type of experience. And just, you know, we do the work, I think, for the work. I think that's part of the humility that comes in that sign that's right. in particular. That's right. yeah. is, is modesty to me means the work is more important than your ego. It's and always a labor of love. Right, totally. And, but, but it is nice to be acknowledged as well. Like there is a, a deep is. human need to, to feel seen. And it, it is wonderful, especially when we have people that we respect that are seeing our work. I mean, that, that's the best gift uh, any teacher can have is having the people that inspired them, you know, see what they're doing too. So super cool. I agree. <laughs> All right, Susie, I'm going to take a look through the chat here. We have got a million comments here. So <laughs> this is so great. Uh, we have, let's see, Unity is here from Seoul, Korea. Welcome, Unity. That is so cool. I love this. We have such an international crowd here. Fantastic. So it's so cool. Uh, Spirit, throw me a bone live is here. <laughs> Hello. CCJ, welcome. Amara Wiley is coming from exotic New Jersey. Uh, we have Place of Stillness. Manuela is here from her playground in Spain. Says 36 Secrets. Uh, it, it, looking forward to listening back later when I'm home. Um, wishing you all a great chat. Well, Manuela is a great supporter of the show too, saying that they also love 36 Secrets. Urania Universe, Portia is here. One of my recent guests, Portia Bazzani, who was a great guest for uh, the Aquarius moon, is joining us here today. Tarya is here from Finland. Uh, Lini is saying that they can't wait for the Living Tarot book. Like <laughs> I want to say, inter there's another special guest here today, Intercycle Astrology. This is Shu Yap, my friend from Australia. Who oh, my God. Is a super huge fan of your work, and you've inspired her. Uh, a ton and she she's a good friend of mine and I, she wanted to make sure that I shouted you out and oh said, my god thank so, you for staying up late <laughs> yeah, she's, she's staying up it's it's awesome so uh she was saying so productive gosh you exhaust me <laughs> so inspiring love your work with Jack Grail too so yeah I think that you're making a lot of people very happy today uh, oh, I'm so glad uh, Lynn says that she's a birthday twin with with you so that's very cool um, happy birthday and uh, Janet Goodspeed is joining us here from the Vancouver area. She was a recent guest in the Leo. Uh, she makes some amazing talismanic material based on the tarot oh, as well. Fantastic. So very cool stuff. Um, let's see. Okay. So I think I got through most of it here. Should we dive in? <laughs> sure. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah. This is so much fun. Okay. Where should we start? Should we, uh, what do you think? We've got big picture thoughts with this new moon. Do you want to share uh, this, the chart of the, or the screen of the chart, or do you want to just uh, look at some cards first? What do you think? Sure, go ahead and sh share the uh, share the chart. Okay. We'd love to see it. All right. So here we have the new moon in Virgo on August the 27th, 2022, which is a Saturday based on where you are in the world, but at 4.17 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. And we see that we have the sun and the moon coming together at four degrees Virgo in the first decade of Virgo with an overcoming square from Mars in Gemini. Um, <laughs> <laughs> almost exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's going to be interesting because uh, my my family is all about Virgo 1. I've got, you know, obviously the Virgo 1 sun, but my husband has a Virgo 1 moon at 4 degrees. Nice. My daughter has a Virgo 1 moon at 1 degree. And so, so, you know, dinner conversations tend to get very granular. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I, my Jupiter is at seven degrees Virgo. So I'm going to feel there this. There you go. Too, so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it should hit. Yeah. And, and my daughter has 
a, a sun, or she has a moon Venus square at four degrees of Sagittarius and Pisces. Oh, wow. <laughs> so oh my God. So all the mutable. Yeah. yeah so she just went yeah. off to college this week. So she's, her brain's <laughs> probably spinning with uh, new, new yeah. options, new directions to go. Tell me some of your big picture thoughts with this combination that we see here. Well, in general, I mean, I, 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 I really noticed that that square between um, between Mars and and the new moon, because I think of that as being, you know, the eight of swords versus eight of right. eight of pentacles. And that's an air versus earth kind of scenario. Right. And totally. Um, well, uh, well, obviously, any square opposition to the new moon is going to have a thing going on. I think that air versus earth is particularly you know, intense because yeah. they're elemental opposites. Right. And so there's like, you know, the, the, the frustration of the eight of swords, which is, you know, um, Jupiter in Jupiter ruling that deck in, in the Chaldean order decanically uh, is uh, you know, it's, it's that big picture being forced into small box, you know, frustration of the eight of swords versus the eight of pentacles, which is very much, you know, chop wood, carry water. Let's just get this thing done. So, you know, so there's a real sort of um, tension. uh, And when I look at that, those two cards, I think kind of like know when to hold them, know when to fold them, (laughs) know when to walk away, because sometimes with the, with that uh, Mars and Gemini, sorry, that, uh, first decade of Gemini where Mars is currently placed, you know, there's uh, just a kind of choosing your moment, biding your time kind of energy, which is the best way to deal with it. Yeah. Um, I often think of that card as like paralysis by analysis. Would you you say that that would be accurate? Absolutely. Absolutely. Overthinking and so, so many different pathways to me, and I'll, I'll see if it, uh, what your thoughts are on this and the differences between Gemini and Virgo. Mm-hmm. We've got that masculine sign or that yang sign of Gemini and the expansion of options. Whereas yes. to me, we've got this first deck in Virgo uh, place where it's we're trying to pare down potentially and consolidate. Yes, absolutely. There's, you know, there's no doubt that while they're both mercurial signs, Virgo is the quiet one. (laughs) You know, you you get your, uh, your linguists and your inventors and your, you know, your big talkers in, in first decade of Gemini. And also the wonderful thing about Gemini one is that like, uh, that massive proliferation of ideas that just spilling forth of like technical skills and abilities and abundance and profusion. (laughs) And then what do you do with all that? Because it's, it's almost too much, right? Yeah. It's almost too much. It's almost like um, uh, spoiled for choice. So, you know, with, with, with the first deck in a Virgo, we edit down you right. know, considerably and you just sort of like, you know, focus in on the thing that's in front of you. One pentacle at a time, every yeah. day, same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a grind, isn't it? That's a grinder card. And that's where it your, is, yeah. your son is at. What is, how has yeah. that played out in your life and the story of your life? Yeah. So I experience um, having a, a, a Virgo one son is, as being just sort of very naturally um, 
missing the forest for the trees <laughs> like all the time like literally Spencer you wouldn't believe my life is full of spreadsheets everywhere like <laughs> right, literally right. I've I've kept a diary since I was 12 every yeah. day I started when I was nine but I didn't manage to keep it every day until I was 12 sure. and just because I thought it was a great idea to do something every day same right yeah. Yeah. and then so my day um, starts with, you know, every day there's ritual, there's ancestor worship, there's card drawing, there's spell writing, all of that takes 30 or 40 minutes. And then, you know, at the end of the day there, oh, and there's chronicling it in the spreadsheet. And then at the end of the day, there's, uh, the, the, the 12 year old dinner spreadsheet, everything I've eaten for dinner (laughs) for like 12 years. Well, you gotta have the data. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, if you don't do it now, it's not going to be easier, you know, four years from now. (laughs) And then, yeah. Can I tell you a secret? Yeah, please do. I've I've been journaling for about 15 years as well. And it's become progressively more detailed with like the margins. (laughs) I see it. I totally get it. I I write down every aspect for the day that from my chart and the, 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 uh, you know, the chart of the day. And I have all, I pull like a million symbols. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And, you know, and that, you know, at the end of the day, I don't, I don't just like, it besides what's for dinner there's also you know going through the spreadsheet and figuring out what sinks there were between the card draw and the day right. for future purposes because i might need it you never know and then there's finally writing the di- diary and then even when i go to sleep there's like the hymns <laughs> there's the yeah. hymns before i go to sleep there's the hymns to uh asclepius the hymn to uh, sleep, the hymn to dream. So wow. literally from moment I wake up to the moment I go to sleep, I'm just surrounded by these routines that right. I can't seem to break away from because Virgo. And that's sure. my experience of, of it. I, you know, I also have a tight trine from Saturn to sun, wow. but, you know, but I think it's mostly just sort of like that impulse to make sure that you get all the data because it's precious and irreplaceable. Right. Man, I thought my routine was intense. <laughs> this it's is a next little OCD, method. to be frank. <laughs> See, I have the morning routine. I, I do the planetary propitiations every morning, and there's a, a, a number of deities that I work with in the mornings. The evening is a new thing, though. That that I just basically fall asleep on the couch. So you've got me on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I love that morning propitiation routine. I mean, yeah. connecting with your gods first thing, it's a way Huge. of just, you know, making sure that you can handle the day that's to come. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, I, I do I do a uh, the planet of the day. I do the Orphicum for the planet. Um, I, I do an I Ching pull for every day. I pull two tarot cards wow. uh, and an animal for the day. So it's just like, here, just let me see the connections. This is this exactly is like, right. That was what I loved about your work is you are able to find essence through all of those forms, too, because you're you're a, you share your chart, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Okay, so you're Pisces rising. So yes. you, you have a really unique blend of having the ability to parse out all those details, but also to bring it back into this ordered whole. And I really appreciate that. I think that that's something that not everybody can do. Uh, so I do want to see the big pictures. And I do yeah. think that that's a Pisces rising thing, just wanting to swim in the whole ocean, not the yeah. tiny stream. <laughs> yeah. So, so that being the case, I, I, maybe you could do a contextualization of the journey from the first decan of Virgo 
to the last and where we're going with that. And maybe if you, if you feel so yeah. inclined, maybe do that with Gemini too, since these two placements are, are so prominent. Yeah. So um, actually what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'll do that, but I'm going to okay. back up first and kind sure. of look at the giant picture okay. of um, of the story of, of earth in the tarot. Um, let me just pull up my screen here yeah. uh, because uh, you know, one of the ways that I, I, I like to kind of um, contextualize uh, the signs themselves is by looking at the um, the other related elements. And what I actually use is the story of Persephone to talk about the story of Earth, which is a story of, you know, return and rebirth and legacies, uh, because I think it's um, particularly uh cogent and 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 apt for 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 what's going on in earth so obviously we've got you know cardinal fixed mutable capricorn taurus virgo and the major arcana associated with that are the devil the hierophant and the hermit right. and i love sort of relating this to the the story of persephone because you know there, you, it's quite exact there's like you know there's that moment where she is ravished from her you know her 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 playing in the wheat fields, in the flower fields by Hades and taken down to the underworld, which strikes me as, you know, pretty obviously tied to the devil. You know, that's sort of also the Capricorn being that cold, dark part of the world, uh, part of the part of the season uh, where where her retreat has caused the rest of the world to wither and 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 uh, cool. And then I think of the Taurus the hierophant as the bridge builder. And, you know, with, with all fixed um, energies, I tend to think in the tarot specifically that there's some kind of transaction going on. There's an exchange of equals in some way. So, you know, when I think about that, I think about the, um, the, uh, the, the, the moment when, um, when Persephone, takes in the seeds of the pomegranates. And that's the the, the sort of archetypal uh, manifestation of her marriage to Hades, right? Right, right. So there's, it's almost a bridal transaction. And the mm. Hierophant was in fact, at one time, a card of marriage. So that kind of makes sense to me as well. And then of course we have uh, the, the Hermit as the, you know, as on several levels, this makes sense because it was Mercury in some, in some versions, who was the psychopomp who brought uh, Persephone back to her mother out of Hades. Um, the other versions have Hecate, and, okay. but um, but there's this idea that the hermit goes deep, goes far and returns with the light, brings back the light. Um, so, you know, so in particular, I think, um, I, to focus on the hermit for a second, yeah. you know, I mean, I think, uh, let me see, which is the one I want to bring up next. Um, Are you sharing your screen right now? Because I'm. Oh, I'm, I am. Okay. You're not I'm, seeing it. No, I'm not. I'm seeing just the chart still. You're kidding. Because um, I have, can you stop share on your chart and see yeah. if one comes let up? Yeah, let me do that. Because yeah. I want to make sure we're seeing your. There okay. it is. There's the yeah, stuff. Yeah, there Earth. it is. Sorry, we, we had visuals. <laughs> so. We had visuals. We had so. visuals. There they are. Okay. Um, so you can see over there, you know, um, 
the 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 black horses of Hades um, abducting Persephone and bringing her down okay. uh, into the devil's underworld, and then we have the Hierophant as almost a marriage officiant in the middle, mm-hmm. and then of course the Hermit um, with the that's one of my favorite pictures of my thrice great boss Hermes uh, <laughs> yeah, so is up good. there bringing the daughter back to her mother. So um, so so I quite like I quite like that as a sort of way of thinking about um, the overall picture with uh, with Virgo's role in the story of in the triplicity. Yeah. But um, but as far as Virgo itself goes, um, there's a, a couple of things going on, which I, I really, really love about the, the sequence, um, which is, you know, so we've got the eight of pentacles, which is the um, which is the sun uh, ruling the Deccan and then the nine of pentacles, which is Venus ruling the Deccan. And uh, that's the sun card. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we've got the ten of pentacles, which is Mercury uh, in its exaltation ruling the Deccan. So right. we've got, you know, we've got, the sun, which is essentially, you know, Peregrine and Virgo, nothing going on. And then we've got Venus, which is in fall um, okay. because, you know, she's uh, on the opposite end of where Pisces would be in, in her exaltation. And then we've got uh, Mercury and Virgo as the um, as the uh, <clears throat> reflecting the exaltation of right of of mercury of mercury in the 10 of pentacles and the okay. you know and what i see in there is sort of like um there's in the in the in the eight there's like you know the focus of the hermit right and in the nine there is like the solitude of the hermit because she's kind of alone in her um in her garden and then in the 10 we have the age of the hermit so there's you know, her <laughs> Virgo in general has this feeling of um, melancholy beauty and mm. the sort of end of the season and the harvesting and the right. death of things, but also the repurposing of the death of things for nourishing the next generation. Right. And that's absolutely key to um, the nature of, of, of that sequence. Um, Doesn't that work so well with Mercury as psychopomp as well? Like that energy retreating does. into the earth, right? Yeah. It absolutely does. And, you know, and one of the things about the hermit, you know, who is described in the, in the, in the hymn to Thonic Hermes, he's described as leading souls into, into Hades. It's yeah. which is I lead uh, the souls of mortals down beneath the, the earth, basically. And then it also describes him as having a, a magic wand that, that puts people's to sleep and wakes them again. Yes. And, you know, so that is this, this very special role that Mercury Psychopomp The, the, the Caduceus, right? Exactly. Okay. Although in the hymn, it's called a Rabdos, Eoi Rabdoi del God. So enchanting with this magical wand. Um, I believe you, you and Mel said that that was an all access pass. It's all NFL. access pass. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. He totally gets it. Uh, yeah. You know, on the lanyard, laminated, <laughs> right. he gets to go wherever he wants and come back, which there is the go. tricky part. There you go. But yeah. And he, um, so there's, there's definitely a, a sense with, um, with, with Hermes that he has this special role as, um, you know, both the person who, 
puts you to sleep and wakes you up again, which we actually see him doing twice in the Iliad and the Odyssey. But also that's a metaphor for dying and being reborn, right? Because he is... um, you know, the 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 person who holds the light of the sun as it um let me bring up another yeah um this is great uh, thing while yeah. while I do this because I think it's worth it to look at the eight of pentacles specifically and uh we've got people in the chat that are like Susie just dropping Greek like it's no problem. <laughs> Which is great. I'm just it's so great. It's so great. So if you look at Look at the major arcana associated with the eight of pentacles, right? Yeah. You've got the hermit, and he's got that 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 lantern which has a six-pointed star in it. And we know that generally in in esoteric tarot, a six-pointed star is the sun. It sure. relates to the solar sephira tiferet, which is at the heart of the tree of life, which is because it's the six, that's why you have the six points on it. Also a reference to as above, so below, as we learn from the Emerald Tablet of Hermes Trismegistus. Right. right. We see that in the magician card, don't we? Yes, yeah. yes, doing <laughs> the, the John Travolta. <laughs> Perfect, I love it. Exactly. So, you know, when the hermit is carrying this light of the sun, which is, you know, the light of the ego, ego in a sense, the light mm-hmm. of the conscious mind, what he's doing is, you know, he carries it through the night, uh, through the darkness, you know, in the, um, in the, in, in Egyptian cosmology, we have the sun dying at the end of every day and journeying, journeying through the duat, through the underworld to rise again, uh, the same but different um, after conquering the night. But it's the hermit's job, Mercury Psychopomp's job to, um, to, to safeguard that on its journey through the um, through night. And this also reminds me of the, um, of the way we sleep, right? Because right. The, that's again the light of the conscious mind being encased and carried, and the body being essentially put into a little death state, like a coma yeah. state, while you travel from through the night and into morning. So you know, so I I like that that facet of the hermit very much. And the other thing about it is that <laughs> you know the way he's holding that lamp with literally the sun in it you know, is, is very much my experience of like having a task Luxo lamp on my door. Like, I mean, I don't know if you can see it on my desk and like, you know, this is the classic Virgo position, you know, (laughs) right? the light over your head, staring at something, writing something for hours on it in the neck. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. And you can also kind of see there, you know, if you look at the sun card, you can almost imagine it because of the wall behind the stone wall behind the sun. You can almost imagine that, as like the sun's eye view of what it's like to be encased in this lantern, right? Yeah, Which yeah. is cool. So yeah, I just that, I just love this. That theme of enclosure, of enclosing spirit into matter seems to come up quite a bit. And over and right. over. Absolutely. It's almost like um you know, if you look at the Picatrix commentaries on Virgo, you have like the girl with the like ragged woolen thing that she's got on holding a pomegranate again the persephone mm-hmm. themes but i think you know so she's got this basically this, this these rags to cover her modesty because mm-hmm. that's that's what you do she, and also because virgo you know doesn't care about what she's wearing and right. then right. then in the second deck and in the in the deck and commentaries there's usually some sort of like 
a person who's got successive coverings of leather and iron and, you know, armor and um, as if they're being wrapped up. And then finally in the 10, you've got someone who's essentially being mummified, you know, um, who's been, I think it's usually an old man wrapped in white uh, linen wrappings, mummified, sure. uh, sometimes a corpse, you know, the, the, um, the, 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 actual meaning i think from the commentators is like age debility and death mm. you know so 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 there's definitely something about that um which which speaks to that position of virgo at the shortening of the seasons right before the uh, autumn solstice in the northern hemisphere and the in the way that we harvest either crops or um the material of the waking mind or the life itself Mm. and try to create meaning out of that. Yeah. Wow. So much to unpack. This is, this is great. This <laughs> it's is a lot. Great, Susie. Yeah. Um, I, I see that third decan of Virgo as that, um, those forces of entropy, you know, like where it's, yes. they're starting, you know, you're trying to hold together something. This is that ordering because you know that the, that, that yes. the body is starting to be shaken up in those, those, um, I don't know, the, all the atoms are like, they want to, you know, <laughs> go crazy and go into chaos. Um, yes, yes, and that actually, legacy. that that ten of pentacles uh, decan is particularly interesting, and I I think I actually have something I wanted to show about that as well, which yeah. is that um, here. Let me bring this. Is actually going to be uh, what did I do with it? Hold on. And a we second. have a question too from Shu. Sure. Um, Shu says, "How do you see the relationship between Virgo, Mercury, and Persephone symbology?" And Hecate, uh, Spencer tells me Hecate belongs to one of the Cancer decans. Well, in in response to that, Cancer three in the thirty six heirs of the zodiac is uh, ruled by the spirit of Hecate, which makes sense because Hecate is a lunar goddess, and that is the most lunar of decans. It's the moon yeah. ruling Cancer, you know, um, in its own decan, and it's it makes a great deal of sense to me. It's in terms of assigning gods and spirits to decans, there's so many different systems. Yeah, so you yeah. kind of just pick and choose what works for you. Right. Um, but I think that in terms of Hecate and uh, relating to the, the Hermes Persephone Demeter myth, I think, you know, Hermes and Hecate are often conflated. In fact, there's, um, you will sometimes see them like in the PGM, they're sometimes referred to as Heca Hermes <laughs> nice. because they're both these liminal gods who stand between things, who are gods of the crossroads, who go. are um, old gods, you know, mm -hmm. gods of being on the road and on the path. They're both of them older than their cohort. Well, didn't they, didn't they put the bus, bus of Hermes at the crossroads yes, too, right? Yes, the Herm. Yes, the Herm, yes, yeah. exactly. To sort of And phalluses, if we want. Yes. Like, <laughs> like, like, I bet Crowley would yes. be proud. <laughs> like, yes, and right. both Hecate and Hermes are uh, hermaphroditic, you know, in some traditions. So, um, so there's a... There's a, in both cases, a willingness to reconcile the contradiction of opposites. And, yeah. you know, hence you can pass between the worlds of the living and the dead uh, with no problem. Excellent. So the thing I wanted to say about yeah. The, yeah. the Ten of Discs Keep going. is just this, this thing. So you had held up the Rider-Waite-Smith Ten of Discs, sure. Ten of Pentacles, which has the Tree of Life on it. Mm -hmm. And you can see that even more clearly on the Thoth one. Yes. Yeah. So so the, it's that, that Ten of Discs in rider waite 
Ten of Pentacles and Rider-Waite Smiths is the only one that has the full tree of life on it. Because, you know, when you think about um, the four elements, mm -hmm. they go in order fire, water, air, earth in terms of the... Um, in terms of the esoterics, not in terms of the sequence in the year, obviously. Right. Um, it's It goes uh, fire, earth, air, water, I think. But, uh, but in tarot, it's always fire, uh, water, air, and earth. And so those are considered four separate worlds in the tree of life. Um, the world of... Um, uh, Atsiluth, which is correlates to fire, the world of Bria, which correlates to water, the world of Yetzira, which correlates to air, and the world of Asiya, which correlates to earth. The, the 10, of course, is the last in any numbered uh, number sequence, ace to 10. So the 10 of earth, Malkut, the bottom um, Sephira, the bottom Sephira is, uh, is Malkut in Asiya is the last in the sequence. It is like if you if you go through the those four elements, you end at the ten of discs. So, you know uh, there are ways of arguing that almost any ten can be an ending, but cabalistically, the ten of uh, pentacles is literally the buck stops here. Right. So when we look at that um, thought card, what we see is this uh, you know all these different symbols of Mercury on here old symbols of mercury new symbols of mercury uh in the in the center that that says Raphael, who is um is the archangel of air in the golden dawn system also mercurial associated with the lover's card said to be on the lover's card in rider wade smith uh, this is the letter Bet, hebrew letter bet which means house which is associated with the magician so every one of these Except for this one, the num the one <laughs> in the Sephira Hode, every one of them is a symbol of Mercury. And the reason why the eighth one, which is Hode on the lower left here, uh, actually shows the sun, not Mercury. Okay. So that's a six-point star. It's the sun, not Mercury, because that is the eighth sphere, and this is very in the weeds here, mm -hmm. but the eighth sphere is the sphere of Mercury. And his job, again, is to restart the cycle. From yeah. So it's like you take the, the, the part and you turn it into whole, into the whole. And that's what uh, Crowley likes to call redintegration. So, so this portrayal of the Ten of Discs shows it's sort of like a symbol, that sun on there, that it's Mercury's job to bring the whole cycle to completion and to restart it again with what would be the two of wands or the ace of wands. Um, I love it. I next love time. It. So in, uh, in that liminal space, as we were talking exactly, about, right? Exactly, exactly, between the worlds. Exactly. I wanted to ask you, Susie, what do you, what do you see as the differences between the Kabbalistic understanding of the four worlds and the astrological understanding of the elements? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because there is, you can definitely make um, some comparisons. Like, you know, one of the ways of thinking about the four worlds is to uh, tie it to the tetragrammaton, the yod he vav he and yod Hey, Vav, Hey, Yod and Vav are masculine, so fire and air, and the two Hey's are feminine, water and earth. So, you know, so in that sense, you can definitely um, correlate, you know, astrological thinking to Kabbalistic thinking. Um, 
I think, you know, when we try to compare the, uh, you know, when I try to compare the, the, the thinking about fire, water, air, and earth in traditional Kabbalah to astrology, it does break down a bit because, you know, they, the traditional Kabbalists thought of the elements rather differently from the way um, that, you know, that our great Greek philosophers, uh, Galen and uh, Empedocles and so on and so forth did. So, so there's definitely, there's a more mystical feeling about um, the role of, of water and um, air in particular, but the I think that the um, the roles of fire and earth seem to be pretty similar. Um, okay. In that fire, of course, is the divine spark, is the source of creation, uh, the source of emanation, and then earth itself is the recipient of that in the you know in the in the long run. Because I found that's been one of the most inscrutable parts of learning the tarot is really yeah. understanding the Kabbalistic tree of life. And the, I mean, you can get the basic concepts, but it takes a while to really get into the nuance because it's so multi. It's literally right? ineffable. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. It's, it's not supposed to make sense. Then <laughs> yet yeah. we all try. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. All right. Wow. This is, this is incredible. We're getting a masterclass from, from <laughs> T. Susan today. This is really great, Susie. I'm just looking through the chat here. We have um, people that are really enjoying the Virgo energy. We have a lot of Virgo types that come to these shows here because <laughs> I I've, believe been, it. I've been yeah. unapologetic about going down the, <laughs> the, the rabbit holes and, yeah. you know, I, we yeah. kind of weeded out the people that weren't like into that <laughs> in our audience. You know, they're like, I don't know what the hell this guy's talking about. You know, but, but the people that come are super dedicated and they, they tell me like, yeah. go into the weeds, go, go as far as you want. So I, I bet people are just going to be eating this up today. Cause this is such, oh, such great stuff. Um, so we have people that are saying that they're doing some Virgo activities, like cleaning their toilet while they listen. So I thought you'd be happy <laughs> I about do that. appreciate that. Yeah, right. You know, I, my sister literally gave me a robot vacuum for my birthday and I've been following nice. that thing around all nice. over the house. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> okay. So, all right, Susie, I'm, I'm looking at our, our, um, outline here. We've gotten some yeah. big picture thoughts. Uh, we, so let's go back to the chart for a second here uh-huh. <clears throat> and let's, Let's talk a little bit more about a few more details with this new moon in particular. One, one that I wanted to focus on is the host of this moon mm-hmm. and Hermes himself, right? Or itself right. Uh, being in a version in the first decade of Libra. Um, right. wh- what do you think about that? What, what, what are we yeah. dealing with here? Yeah, well, I think, you know, that first decade of Libra, I consider that the sort of like training montage of the minor arcana because there's there's something um you know in the in the in the iconography we have a blindfolded woman right Mm -hmm. and she appears to be undergoing some kind of initiation so in that transition from 10 of uh pentacles or from virgo 3 to libra 1 what we're getting is sort of like a um a, a a death of the ego followed by a deferential um obedience to like somebody else's ego it's there's this like that transition from self to other death of self recognition of other going on between those two and uh and you know and i think that that uh that 
that gives that you know that's not a that's not a decan that mercury has any particular dignity in sure. bad or good but i think it's definitely you know something that gives the spaciousness of mercury some room to express itself you know in that there's willingness to hear out the other and to right. continue the conversation there's give and take do you think with mercury being an aversion that we may have a blind spot to someone else's perspective at this oh, new moon that's potentially interesting. potentially yeah. i could see that yeah that was something that was coming up to me when I was looking at this chart saying, you know, we, we have a need to take on another perspective, but it's, it is in the, the periphery viewpoint on some level. And also, yeah. you, you know, this, this Deccan, it, it, it seems to be, and maybe you can confirm or deny this related to, to Mott and mm -hmm. related to, you know, being the guardian of the underworld and weighing the heart against the feather. Mm -hmm. But, but the, the spirit in the 36 airs is the Uranese. So to mm. me, I, I think of this as an awareness of injustice on some level. Yes, right? yes, absolutely. And in fact, that ties in very strongly with um, another card, which is the Queen of Swords, who yeah. passes from the 10, from Virgo 3 to Libra 2, right? So 10 okay. of discs or pentacles. Uh, two of Swords, Three of Swords, uh, a sequence which always makes me think of, you know, the widow inheriting a lot of money through a legal judgment after a death. Sure. <laughs> you know? yeah. But, um, but yeah, no, and that that uh, that archetype of the Queen of Swords is, I think, really critical to that first decan of Virgo uh, Libra, which is the center of her realm, because there is often in Virgo and moving into Libra, this obsession with justice, with fairness, sure. and goddesses of justice, particularly. So the Irinias are, you know, fate goddesses in a sense, but also mm -hmm. uh, goddesses of retribution, vengeance, and justice, particularly within the family. Mm -hmm. And as such, have a, a connection with Themis, who is occasionally also associated with Virgo. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, definitely these uh, themes of justice and of balance um around that uh transition from virgo to libra are constantly showing up well and one of the things that has been coming up in the, the zeitgeist in the last few days here is potential for student loan forgiveness yeah and, and, you know past yeah. and that that seems to me to be like a, a a justice theme that is related to passing on legacies or material absolutely, resources, right? Absolutely. With the wealth of the 10 of pentacles being, you know, yeah. forgiven in some way. And I, I think that that's also really interesting because, you know, the, the remainder of the Virgo decans that are not in the queen of swords realm belong to the king of pentacles, the, mm -hmm. the, the Virgo one and Virgo two, as well as Leo three. But, um, and the job of the king of pentacles as the, as I see it is the job of the harvest king, right? He has to make sure that all of the crops come in so that his people will be fed through the long winter. And right. there's definitely uh, uh, themes of sacrifice of, you know, of the God that must be sacrificed for the land to, um, to thrive and be fertile uh, with that king. And if you look at the King of Pentacles in Rider-Waite-Smith, he's basically like, He's he's so deep into his throne that he's like being covered by vines and sure. uh, and grapes. There's an identification of the sovereign with the land. Excellent. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think about the opposition that's forming between Venus and Saturn? 
in this chart? Yeah, uh, let's see. Oh, yes, look at that. I know every time I think of Venus and Saturn, I, I think of Saturn's exaltation in Libra. But here we have the Leo Aquarius thing going on. And mm -hmm. it's a tight opposition as well, yeah. isn't it? It's yeah. getting close. Yeah, yeah. And, and when it perfects, it'll be in the third decan of Leo and the third decan of Aquarius. Um, yeah, another Deccan that's very close to my heart. That's my mm. my moon placement. And actually, nice. I, I drew the Seven of uh, Swords today, as well, a matter nice. of fact. Yeah, and I think that that, um, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a particularly, I think, tricky axis, Leo Aquarius, because, you know, it's obviously uh, of of among axes, I think the opposites are so emphatic because the sun is archetypally the center of our universe, though not astronomically. And right. Saturn, of course, is the represents the farthest, most distant, coldest, you know, um, most remote. Okay. So, so when we see Leo Aquarius axis, uh, you know, there there's such a tension between. Um, the 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 longing of the individual to express themselves um, with radiance and uh, and and no inhibition, whereas cold Saturn <laughs> is you know looking at all of the ways the system is failing and critiquing sure. it from the outside. As we remember with the Great American Eclipse of what was it, twenty seventeen? Yeah. 2019, 2017. I think it was I July 2017, being, right? Yeah, yeah, which was Leo Aquarius, and yeah. in which I had a, um, I had a, a, I had to get retinal surgery. Oh no! <laughs> because I had a retinal tear, which is wow. very, you know, very archetypal eclipse <laughs> um, yeah. uh, behavior, because it was literally right on my moon. So you know that that summer was the the year that my partner gifted me. Dimitri George's Astrology and the Authentic Self, which sent me down the path of learning traditional astrology. So, wow. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it was a big deal. That was in my first house, like on my ascendant, almost exactly. So. Oh, my God. What? <laughs> that must have been it was crazy. a whopper for you. <laughs> it, was a, it was a big, big light bulb moment that was like, yeah. wow, maybe this is a new path. Because I was a professional musician for a long time. And <sighs> I'd always been interested yeah. in astrology as a, as an, a, you know, very enthusiastic amateur, but I kind of was like, I think this is what I want to do. And I started listening to Chris Brennan's podcast and just, yeah. Just so. And we often see that with Aquarius contact, don't we? Yeah. You know, the sort of eruption of astrological interest. Sure. Yeah. So I, you know, part of the feeling I get sometimes with this axis, especially third deck in Leo and Aquarius is should I stay or should I go? Uh, nice. How do you how do you feel about that that relationship here, and, and maybe the tension that we might be experiencing in our relationships potentially? Yes, yes. I mean, I think it the the um, third deck and fix generally. There's a elegiac attitude towards it. I mean, we see this in the tarot where you know second decan of fixed is the six, right? right. Um, is always the six, which is the high point and the sort of like balance point of the suit Different. where everything's great, right? Yeah. And but the seven has this quality of trying to hold on to that by any means possible. <laughs> yeah. You know, and in the in in Leo three, the seven of wands, we see someone who is literally holding that ace of wands against the other other six defending it right. you know hasn't even had time to tie his mismatched shoes you mm. know in against the 
consensus and trying to, you know, literally a hill that he's trying to die on. Whereas the, um, whereas the, the seven of swords is doing it in a tricky way, right? There's that sort of, um, there's always a resourcefulness, a shadiness, an ability to, uh, take the outsider's point of view. So I, I think that, you know, um, the, both of them, because they're sevens and sevens are cards of skills and seeking, you know, they both have an emphasis on, you know, using your resources to, to get, try and get back to where you were in the case of the seven. I often think of that as like, uh, the refugee's journey, which we see in the six of swords and then being in seven of swords. And here you are, you know, an immigrant in a strange land, having to do some job that you're way overqualified for. And, you know, and maybe not being too concerned about the ethics or the legality of it because you're just trying to survive. Right. So that's interesting. Yeah. Very much what I see. Um, so, so in, in the seven of swords in Aquarius, you're looking at it from the position of the outsider, whereas in the seven of wands in Leo, you're kind of looking at it from the insider, the, the person who was just King five minutes ago. And right. I think that's the difference in their perspective. Yeah, I I live this third decan Leo, <laughs> my rising rising decan, and I will say there's been many of many a hill I've tried to die on. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, I did want to mention for those in the audience who have to ad nauseum hear me talk about Aaron Rodgers that it was quite a boon when I was reading your book and in my rising decan you mentioned your son and his love of the Green Bay oh, Packers. Oh yes, I have to I have to just tell that story really quick because yeah, it's so great. Please. You know. My my son is has zero interest in tarot and I have zero interest in football. However, when he was living with us in his like junior year, he really was excited about the Packers. It was all about the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. And so uh, I tried to like create a connection with my teenage son by saying, here, let's see who's going to win this game. So I held out the pack of cards to him and said, pick one. And then I said, wait, hold on. How are we going to know if it's going to be the Packers or not? And I did what I call priming the pump in my online tarot course. I said, okay, what would it look like if the Packers won? Well, I can only think of one card where somebody's wearing a green shirt and the Packers have green jerseys. So if you get the seven of wands, they're going to win. I don't, you know, and I held it out and he's like, fine. He he reaches for it. He picks out a card and it's the seven of wands (laughs) and they won. (laughs) And the thing is that like I don't really know what I would have done if he picked any other card (laughs) but this is the thing about tarot and why I was so attracted to it from the beginning because it's weird and it's wacky and sometimes it just gives you a freebie well (laughs) and and so my question for you is was your was your son impressed (laughs) no (laughs) are you kidding (laughs) he just laughed you know he laughed you know I mean that that kid (laughs) <laughs> oh, d- dealing with a teenage daughter myself right now, I can see like the unimpressedness of like all the old things. Oh yeah. And <laughs> neither child of mine has any idea how much their lives are ruled by the way I navigate through mine using, yeah. you know, divinatory tools. But uh, let's yeah. hope they forgive us for it. Well, I-, I love that story. That's 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 that shows me that, you know, we can come into alignment with whatever vehicle that the divine wants to speak to us through. And this is, you know, and this is something I I heard you talk about, I think with Chris Brennan, when you Mm -hmm. were on his show is being able to kind of 
tune in like a radio receiver using the tools that you've become attuned to. And that, mm-hmm. that really yes. resonates with me because a lot of times, especially when people start studying traditional astrology, they get really rigid about mm-hmm. the rules and about the systems that they're using. And I found, this is why I love your work so much, that you can find connections with these things. I mean, when we don't over-conflate, I mean, there is a danger right. of over-conflation. Yeah, there is a de- definitely a danger of red strings and pins, you right. know, in this work. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I get, yeah, I'm surprised I don't have one back here. Uh, if you see my notes, that's probably the equivalent of that. <laughs> but, I totally relate. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I think that I think that uh, Jeffrey Cornelius's work really turned me on to, to even astrology as a, as an oracle and as as divination, and sometimes charts that are not even related to a specific time and place, giving us oracular information. Um, that's right. And I literally do think that you can get oracular information out of just about everything. It's right. not that it's, uh, I mean, meaning is, is, is inherent. It's latent all around us, but there's something about turning your attention to it, sacralizing the moment, setting it aside and uh, harvesting the interpretation that makes it special. So, right. so yeah, I mean, I think that I can totally understand the desire for, um, for systems and discipline and structure, but at the same time you have to let go in the moment in order to get the meaning out of it perfect perfect Susie, i'm going to check in with the chat box here i want to say thank you to lynn for the super sticker appreciate your support my friend we have some other wonderful souls dropping in today here we've got castle rock joining us from iowa city iowa uh, who is a big fan of your work Susie. Uh, we've got Errol wong joining from hong kong welcome Errol. that's wow. a new name that i'm seeing so this is very very cool uh we have Remco dropping in from the Netherlands, who is a regular here in the show. So this is Lynn is saying today, this is a fantastic birthday present for her. So <laughs> Happy you, birthday. Happy birthday, Lynn. Okay, Susie. So just to contextualize this, I, I, to me, I see whenever a planet is coming into opposition with Saturn, there is kind of a, it's almost like a cosmic no, <laughs> you know? It's, mm, it's yes, like, talk hey, to maybe, the hand. <laughs> right. There may be some, something that you, some issue that you want to defend something that you're attracted and attached to but saturn is saying hey maybe it's time to to let go of that that position not maybe try to defend your your hill or die on that hill i know that this has been true for me as this week my daughter uh, i took my daughter to college and, and moved her into her dorm and having to change roles as a parent Oof. with a kid in the house and a kid out in the world, and, you know, it's scary for a cancer to son. Scary, <laughs> you know? scary. You're an empty nester now. My God, it's, it's, it's rough. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, on the plus side, uh, it, it is, you do have your own emotional space once again, and you have the ability to focus, I think, without worrying if they're going to be okay every single second, although you still worry. I mean, of course. Yeah. But, um, but I think that that's one of the things that I've really learned both from your book and from the other research that I've done with Leo three is it's not just defending your territory. It's knowing when to step down from that position and say, okay, it's actually time to move on. It's time to let go, which I think we see a lot in the the third decan of Aquarius, mm-hmm. right? We're saying, Hey, mm-hmm. you know, we've learned what Absolutely. we've learned. Let's move on to the next experience. Right. Absolutely. I completely agree. And, and one last thing with that, in the 36 eras of the Zodiac, this spirit or diamond is Osiris. And that seems to really oh, resonate. Oh, yes. Right? Yes. So, Lord of the dead. Yeah. 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 So coming together and, and learning what you can learn, but 
but only for a short period of time because Osiris was reconstructed and then mm -hmm. he had to, he was just kind of, in some versions, he's disgusted with humanity. He's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, th and that's a good transition because I want to ask you about divine discontent and divine yeah. disgust with Virgo because I feel that. There's a lot of that. Yeah. yeah. Talk, talk about that a little bit and maybe some of the myths around that feeling. Yeah. So I think, you know, one of the things that I observed with Mel when we were first sort of prepping the Fortune's Wheelhouse episode on Virgo one was that this, the, the archetype seemed to constellate around three types of figures, um, the ladies of justice, which we've talked about, uh, and the earth mothers and the disgusted maidens, <laughs> the ones who right. are just like, I've had it. I've got to get out of here. This place right. is too disgusting for me and my purity, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think the, the classic, um, the tale of, of Astraea, mm -hmm. uh, is, is one of them. The idea that, uh, the, she was too pure for this world. Some people say the Virgo constellation, uh, is a, is a picture of Astraea. Um, in fact, I have a, um, yeah, I have up. a yeah. Let me bring that up. Uh, this is a oh, I haven't done it yet. Let me go back here and share the screen. This is a 15th century frieze from uh, Palazzo Schifanoio in nice. in uh, in Italy, and this is um, basically illustrates the 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 Virgo. Uh, sequence here. This is you can see this virgin lying down here is is trying to to to, <laughs> to, to capture the giant you know sure. sky filling constellation of Virgo, um, yeah. and then you can see it's actually divided into decans here. Um, okay. The first one being this is Persephone with her with her pomegranate leaving the earth. Mm -hmm. um, this I think. I can't remember this one. I think it has to do with Hermes. And then the last one is supposed to be Venus mourning Adonis. But uh, but but it's it's interesting because even the Persephone myth is a version of that sort of the 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 too pure for this world maiden who right. um you know who has to leave. Uh this is also, I think, you know, um why the Virgo archetype typically has wings, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, the um, double body. That's actually something double body. Right. Your your fortune's wheelhouse. That was always something. I was like, why is that one double bodied? And then I was like, okay, the the bird and the the goddess. Yeah, so thank you for <laughs> shining the. Yes, yes, and that's you know it's an old conflation yeah. of the two. Um, but uh, but you know if you the older the image of Virgo, the more likely you are to see wings. Right. But um, in fact, one of the goddesses associated with um justice goddess is um associated with virgo is nike who is normally a goddess of victory but mm -hmm. she was given this shrine um and where she was given a statue without wings nike opteros so she wouldn't fly away because you yeah. know these goddesses do that they can't stand the filth of humanity so mm. they have a tendency to um to 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 fly away and i think that also sort of ties into the justice archetype you know it's purity of um of body but also purity of soul and right. the sort of you know the 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 need to um to 
I don't know. I kind of think about this with the with the harvest motif as well. It's like, you know, you need to have in that moment when you're refining, graining or harvesting crops, you want it to be at its most pristine because Mm -hmm. that's going to be taken in for human nourishment and for um, and for the next generation. So you have to, you know, give it the absolutely best conditions. You don't want to see decay or mold or anything right. like that or infestation so, so the hype the hyper focus to find the flaws right? exactly right? exactly yeah. like literally i always think of that like if i'm going through dal or lentils or something looking mm-hmm. for the rocks to, and right. discarding them you know and and you think god this is like you know if i've often said that the experience of being Virgo is like wanting to clean your house with the crevice <laughs> attachment on the vacuum cleaner. Yes. yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, because you goodness. just can't freaking stop. And, you know, and, and you can understand why there's that tendency to just be like, this is disgusting. Get me out yeah. of here. Yeah. You know, this is something that, and I wonder if you have this uh, challenge with your family too, is sometimes my family's like, why are you so why so mean? You're always finding all the flaws and everything. And it's like, no, I'm just trying to fix things. This is broken. Exactly. You know? We literally had this conversation at the dinner table last night where my, my husband had taken my daughter for her contact lens prescription. Mm-hmm. And I said, did you get the prescription? Did you get a paper prescription? Right. And he said, no, I signed it. I signed something that said I could get online access. And I said, do you know how hard it's going to be to get that prescription <laughs> right. when she needs to order contact lenses, which have expired? And do you know who's going to have to make that call? And get, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, why are you so mean? <laughs> literally, literally, yeah. you know, yeah. but it's like, you know, that you, it's all about efficiency. It's That's all right. about like That's doing right. things in the least messy, most streamlined, you know, uh, way possible. So you don't have to go back and freaking do it again. Well, in our minds, I I don't feel like I'm being mean. I'm like, Oh, I'm trying to be helpful. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And the other interesting thing is that a lot of the time it's like, you know, another (laughs) dinner conversations are the three of us right now are very interesting because, you know, with their Virgo moons, they love to talk about like the minutiae of like grammar and language and, you know, and financial policy and Marxism, you know, they love to do that. And and there's a part of me that's just like, I have had these conversations my whole life and I, (laughs) I'm just going to sit back and watch you because I'm so glad you're discovering this, Uh, but I don't need to participate right now, which sounds (laughs) terrible, but I think that's the difference between sun and moon it's like this is my lived experience right right as opposed to this thing that you need to, to well, go down so right selfishly how would you see jupiter in that decade because uh, that's where my jupiter yeah, is yeah i mean i i think there's uh you know i don't think i have any insight that's better than you know a real astrologer right. but you know i think if you contrast jupiter and gemini which is you know um i had the discomfort of jupiter generally in these uh, in these mutable Virgo signs, you know, you can see that Jupiter in Gemini is in detriment, whereas Jupiter in, in Virgo is in fall. And I think that the, the experience on the sort of negative side of that is that Jupiter is kind of, you know, um, ignored you know, is well, not, is, isn't, is well, not. Hold on, hold on a sec. My Virgo radar is going, my alarm is going <laughs> off. Isn't Jupiter and Virgo in exile as well? Because Jupiter and Pisces is, it's domicile. That's and Jupiter fall. Capric- yeah, I call Jupiter. it fall, but same. Jupiter, Jupiter and Pisces is its exaltation. Uh, Jupiter. Oh no, you're right. Right, 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 right. No. Sorry. 
Yeah, sorry. <laughs> my bad. My like, bad. Jupiter and Capricorn is in fall. Two of, dis, two of discs. Right. You're Thank absolutely you. right. So it's detriment for both of them. Right. Okay. So, okay. Reconfigure. That's okay. So, sorry. Yeah, no, 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 no. Okay. So I think that, you know, the the we have the same issues with Jupiter and Virgo that have the um that of of missing the big picture sometime but i think because it's a um a service sign i think that jupiter really does have a chance to express its idealism in virgo in a way that perhaps it doesn't show up so much in gemini yeah. uh where it's more the sort of proliferation of language and uh and and ideas but um but you know i think that and perhaps this is your experience, you should say, if, you know, but there's an attraction to, you know, taking the big ideas and applying them to the good of humanity. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, you know, my Jupiter is also on a fixed star called Thuban, which is like the, oh, ho the hoarding dragon of the, the Garden yeah. of Eden. Yeah. And, and I've had to, you should see my office. It's just like, I buy so <laughs> many books. <laughs> so it's just, I've got books yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And what I've had to learn with that placement is that Unlike the dragon, I need to actually let the, the information flow through me rather than hoard it, right? right? And say, okay, the more that I share, the more generous I am with what I know, the more it's going to come to me as a, as a channel rather than me being just completely off isolated and doing that, which, you know, I can understand that feeling. Sometimes I'm yeah. like, I don't want people to bother me because, you know, <laughs> I, I can't focus. <laughs> you know? Like, so. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I, I agree with you with some of the small talk at the dinner table. It's like, yeah, I'm just going to go read a book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. You know, it, does, this, does this add to, you know, to my, my treasure house of knowledge? Right. Or is it just something I already have 18 of already? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Susie. This has been wonderful. Let me let me uh, let me see where we're at here on the on the chart. <laughs> like, okay, we've talked about some of the myths of Astraea, Demeter, and and one thing I will add about Demeter and Persephone is, I, I believe that it seems like these are different sort of mother maiden crone faces yeah. of a similar goddess, right? On some level, yes, absolutely, and not only those goddesses, but uh, but Isis shows up as well mm -hmm. uh, in the idea that. You know, I mean, there's an there, Isis, of course, is applicable to so many different sort of uh, archetypal roles in astrology. This is only one of them. But, you know, there is the myth of Isis where uh, when she was fleeing Typhon, she was carrying a sheaf of wheat. Mm -hmm. Right. And those and the wheat grains scattered and formed the Milky Way. So that's a very Virgoan kind of um, face of Isis. Nice. And also, you know, when we think about that sort of um, symbol of the grain with um, with with the Eleusinian mysteries, it was said that that, of course, is a cult of Demeter mm -hmm. um, at Eleusis. It was said that at the end of those mysteries that a, that they would cut an ear of grain in silence. Right. Mm -hmm. And grain, of course, being a Virgo attribute, silence being the. Um, the uh the the power of earth in a way if you look at the the powers of the sphinx the four powers of the sphinx to will right. being fire to dare being water to know being air and to keep silent being earth so so there's something about that sort of cutting of the grain to me that is associated with that um mother and 
you know, grain mother, harvest mother archetype that has to do both with like the reaping and the death and the replanting, you know? Right. Well, and the, the Sphinx is a cool image too, because yeah. it, isn't that sort of like combining the Leo and Virgo Yes. Yes, it absolutely yeah. is. Yes. Yeah. The woman in front and the line in back and sometimes wings as well. There you go. Perfect. Right. Yeah. Um, one more myth I wanted to ask you about your thoughts on, and this goes with the wanting to leave the physical plane is that myth of origany. I believe I'm uh, saying yes. that right. Maybe I'm not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, that's right. Yeah. So do you, do, are you familiar with that myth? I know you are. <laughs> sort of, <laughs> you know, I, it's passed through my brain, but it's not top of mind right now. Okay. So, so Rigany was a, a daughter of a, a, a gent, a shepherd, right. That kind of mm-hmm. got caught up with uh, Dionysus's crew. She killed herself, didn't she? Yeah. She, she, she hung yeah. herself when yeah. she found out that her father had died. Um, and, and her little dog like led her to where the body was. And then she was like, Oh no, yeah. I'm so, so upset. And she, she committed suicide. So I, uh, th- that's one thing that I, you know, I know it's a sensitive topic, uh, mm-hmm. trigger warning. Yeah. Um, but, but if, yeah. if that is another theme or impulse, I've talked to a lot of Virgo clients, like where the, some of them have struggled with some of those, those challenges as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's, um, you know, the, the earth element is traditionally melancholic to begin with. So I think that, you know, um, and also there's the seasonal change, which is hard sometimes for people to handle. So I think that it's fair to say that depression is a, you know, a manifestation of the sign and it shows up for a lot of people that way. Um, It's, you can't get around these themes of death and dying without, you know, getting a tinge of that. So so my question for you is, how do you keep your mental health uh, healthy? How do you manage any feelings where you might feel depressed or, or just d- divine disgust? What is What are some of the practical things that you do? Yeah, well, actually, divination is a huge part of that because, you know, one of the great things I think about tarot is that it externalizes every single thing in the world. You know, your depression is in there, your return to hope is in there, everything's in there. And when you shuffled the deck, that's a way of saying, I'm prepared to meet anything, right? right? Whatever it is. And that is why, you know, I don't really like to do things like, you know, shuffle with majors only or take the hard cards out or anything like that, because, right. As a practice, it's uh, uh, it's it's a symbol of my willingness to face whatever comes, and mm-hmm. that I know that there's a better and a worse way to handle it. Right. So you know, the idea is that I'm going to try and use the better one. So all of my rituals are focused around that, and um, and actually, the first thing I do when I'm feeling you know low or depressed is I think back to the draw that I did that day. And I try to, you know, I, I actually think back to whatever spell I wrote mm-hmm. and reactivate that and see, you know, how it can help me. Cause I never write spells that are going to hurt me, obviously. Sure, sure. So the, the turn from um, the sort of inward focus to sort of back to harvesting meaning using the blade of one's attention, I think is, critical. And I think that depression in general is an airy disease. It's, Mm -hmm. it's a disease of swords. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a pathology of swords. And, you know, in tarot language, what I think about with swords is always the question of where you're looking. Cause if you look at the suit in its totality, you've got um, 
nobody's eyes are open and looking at you. They're either blindfolded or they're looking away or their back is to you or they're dead. Right. Right, So, you know, so the key with working with swords is to recognize that the ace of swords is a double bladed weapon. It preserves and it cuts away. And where you turn that weapon, which is the blade of your attention is absolutely critical to shaping Mm. your perception and your world. Mm. Um, One of the other associations of air is Yetzirah, the world of Yetzirah, as in Sefer Yetzirah, the world of formation in Kabbalah. And Yetzirah is uh, this world where where our our preconceptions are are the infrastructure, are the architecture behind our reality. Right. So you know, if you can get uh, control of that. And some people, you know, if you think of the four worlds as existing on one tree of life, that is, here we go again, mm-hmm. <laughs> that is the Sephiris, uh, Netzach, Hod, and Yesod, if right. you can get control of that triangle and shape your perceptions before they emerge in Malkut, in the real world of our five senses, then you have a chance of um, altering your reality. So, yeah. Two, two things I want to, to piggyback off of that. Mm-hmm. I want you to talk more about Hode and yeah. tell us about Hode and, and its relationship <laughs> with Netzach because that's there, that's a really nice yeah. balancing energy. And then also in your book, you offer solutions to like the Eight of Swords energy mm-hmm. with the other eights in Hode. Yes. So I thought yes. that was brilliant. I was like, because this because I think that Mars is it's in the overcoming square. I think we're going to be feeling some challenges from that. It's it is maltreating this this new yes so yes. i think this is a great opportunity to both explain hode and mm-hmm. give us some practical solutions with the other cards absolutely that's a wonderful um one of my favorite things to talk about so so thanks um so so hode is uh, uh is basically you know those um I'm going to bring up the uh, the Ten of Discs. It's not a yeah. tree of life, but it's close enough. Um, sure. Let me see. Where is it? Here we go. And then I will share that. So shape of the tree of life. So we should just look at this. Uh, so the, the, the lower three are um, seven is on the right. That's Netzach, this one mm-hmm. with this star. I don't know if you can see my cursor or not. Again, yeah. Oh, good. And then eight is Hod over here, and nine is Yesod over here. And those, and then Malkut is down here. So when you divide the tree in the one tree model into four worlds, you have the world of fire, which is the world of Yetzirah, the Keter, um, uh, Chokmah, and Bina. And then you have the world of Bria over here, which is Chesed, Chesed, Gevura, and Tiferet. Mm-hmm. And then you have Hod. Netzach and Yesod is the world of formation, the world of Yetzirah. And Hod in particular is interesting um, because it is, uh, the Netzach and Hod are called the spheres of prophecy, uh, or they're also called the feet of the tree of life um, because they are the ways that we take action in the world, the ways we walk through the world, whereas the uh, Chesed and Gevur are considered the arms. Mm-hmm. Um, the way we do things, but um, but but as the spheres of prophecy, they're very different. Now, uh, as hermetic Kabbalists, we tend to view the seven as being emotions and the eight as intellect, netzach as as um, as emotion and hod as um, intellect, and so there's 
definitely a, a, a more impulsive quality to Netzach, a world of feeling. And as prophecy, that would be like ecstasy, divine inspiration, mm. being uh, receiving direct messages from the divine. Whereas in in Hode, what we do is interpretation. We keep mm. our heads down. We look at the runes, the bones, the cards, the stars heads up i guess yeah. you know and and then we interpret there's something indirect about hode and um and that's why it is a mercurial sphere because we need that sort of uh god of interpretation language decoding mm -hmm. to help us understand um what we're receiving through uh through the pillar of form here so um so interestingly, the path between the two of them is the path of the tower. And the path between Teferet and uh, Yesod is the path of uh, temperance. So that intersection of temperance and tower of let Hebrew letters Samech and Pei is considered to be the place of magic where you do your magic from in the Golden Dawn system. Right. It's almost like you take the, the talking stick and you stand there and you know, and you do your rites and your oracles. So it's a it's a place where things are um, formed for creation and for descent into Malkut. Um, and Hode, I generally think of, you know, I talked about how uh, sevens tend to deal with skills and seeking mm -hmm. um, in Netzach, that sort of hungriness, the, the hunger for uh, for 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 being king or whatever it is again, sure. um, whereas the eight there is a sort of understanding of the system, hmm. right? Uh, of how things work, of the patterns of things, of um, of I, I call my keyword for um, for for eights is realization. Hmm. So in the eight of wands, it's sort of like. Uh, something is flying through the air and becoming real. It's landing on your doorstep and becoming real. Uh, with the Eight of Cups, you are realizing that you are done with the situation and walking away. Right. With the Eight of Swords, uh, you are, you know, realizing that you can't move. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's this. Uh, there's the 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 thought becoming more real than the action and then with the aid of discs or pentacles you are actually making real things so mm -hmm. realizing in that sense right. and so with the eight of swords energy which you were asking about where you know where there's that feeling of paralysis by analysis right. your good phrase is one of there are obviously you can use the other eights as ways to break out of that in one way or another uh, eight of wands can of course be you know getting gifts and packages, which I love, but you don't yeah. have a lot of control of that. So another way to do eight of wands is just to move, to go on a trip, to change your scene. Um, yeah. You made like a luggage tag out of that. Card, I right? did. I <laughs> yeah. did. And a key fob. I carry nice. that wherever I go now. Perfect. It Unlocking the doors. Work. Yeah. Exactly. Perfect. Exactly. Just get up and go is a right. way to shift, uh, shift your thinking. Uh, with eight of cups, that is an emotional walking away from the thing that's bothering you. So yeah. just set it behind you and move on. And of course, with eight of discs, it's just to do something with your hands, you know, yeah. cook something, carve something, you know, make some art, whatever it is that will get you out of your head. Sure. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. And I think that, you know, thinking about that eight of discs type of energy, I actually have a Venus uh, square in Gemini oh, right. to to all of my Virgo stellium, 
And I've been guilty of overthinking things to the point where when I was in a young artist, I used to draw a lot that I wanted things to look so realistic that I would mm. hole in the paper. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. Wow. I totally get that. And yeah. you know, and that's the thing, your Venus is in the middle Deccan, if I am correct, the, yes, the nine of swords Deccan, yes. which is yeah. particularly, um, you know, where you take that sort of overabundance of options in the eight of swords, and then you start to really sweat it. You know, yeah. you really start yeah. to worry about, <laughs> yeah, is it, is it right? There's anxiety, right? Yeah. That was last Which, night before our show today. <laughs> <laughs> so I apologize for being sleep deprived because I was oh, okay. hoping we would, we would have a good talk today. <laughs> like, Which we, it, are. we have. Which it's we been are. fantastic. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah. And you know, the gift of that nine of swords Deccan though, is like the familiarity with that dilemma where. Mm. You know, I call that the Deccan of the writer because yeah. that is literally what writers do. We hold all these swords in our heads and then right. we try to like somehow get them onto the page, which is painful in the so extreme. Painful. Yeah, it's so, so painful. painful. Yeah. And yet we do it. So, right. you know, so there is a superpower, you know, to being familiar with that struggle and being able to come out of it with something, you know, at the end that you're happy with. I mean, you know, and I actually am kind of a fan of the 10 of swords because yeah. that's when it's done and right. you can move on to the next right. thing. <laughs> that's when you're like, all right, I can't keep all the, the thoughts juggling. I've got to sacrifice a few of them. Exactly. To, to, and I always tell clients with that placement, breathe life into what is most important to you rather than mm. focusing on what you're giving up. Right. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Um, because, right. like, you know, you see in that story of the twins, Castor and Pollux, one of them had to willingly give up some of their immortality so that the other could live. And, exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. You have to prioritize and that's difficult, but it also makes room for what comes after, which could be either the two of cups, which is yeah. the Lord of love you know, right. which is a wonderful way of looking at it, or the two of discs, which is change if you go from air to earth nice. in that sequence. Nice. See, this is, this, these are the little nuggets that make your, <laughs> your books so amazing. It's, it's that ability to contextualize that and say, where, how do we get from point A to point B? Like if we're, it's one thing to know the, all the little minutiae. It's another thing to apply it to your life and say, this is how you can move out of this painful experience and alleviate your suffering you know like that's right and that's why i think it's really important with tarot to you know whatever you draw try to make meaning out of it try to find what helps right. you out of it don't just give up because even if you get the 10 of swords which i've gotten more than any other card this year even if you get the tower you know make meaning out of it because then yeah. future you will thank you because yeah. you will have the tools to handle it well and i think of it's, it's so much of esotericism is seasonal. And, That's right. And if we, if we get totally fixated on eternal spring or eternal summer, mm. We're not letting ourselves recharge and we're not letting the ground lay fallow. And I think that that's the challenge we're seeing of late stage capitalism is we think we have an eternal spring and summer and here's, yes. here's the result. <laughs> yes. Endless growth, endless growth. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, who wants to watch a story where it's just, everybody's happy all the time. It's sure. boring. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I mean, and we are living stories. That's who we are as human beings. I love it. We, you have to add some conflict to, to eight, add some interest, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. That's right. Susie, a couple other things I'd like to your thoughts on are you doing okay you doing okay yeah, on time and everything yeah, yeah. this has been such a such a treat um i i could listen <laughs> me as well I, I feel like i'm at the foot of the hierophant right now 
absorbing and or the hermit you know <laughs> so um so thank you and i wanted to shift gears a little bit now to um a couple things one of the things and and maybe you can stop your share for a second here and I can oh see, i'm sorry about that yes face. that's right. okay face there. there you go um there's there's one kind of I don't know what I felt like is one of maybe my contributions to this second conversation. It's probably by no means an original thought, but I've been trying to connect the Thema Mundi with, mm -hmm. uh, with the Deccans, with the astrological signs and really try to dive into the, the meaning of those houses and mm -hmm. see if we can find the connections. So I want to hear your thoughts on the third house, uh, the joy of the moon related mm -hmm. to psychopomp Hermes and also the spirit which I think this is connected, the spirit of the first Deccan in 36 heirs of the Zodiac. And I know you sent, you sent me a document with uh, the sacred book sacred of Hermes, text of Hermes. right? Yeah. Which I, which I need yes. to get hip to because there, this Oracle <laughs> deck from Revelor, Revelory oh, Press. Yes, you got used, it. Yeah, I got it. And they, 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 yeah. they use the sacred book of Hermes. So I, I that's a that's whole right. nother lens to look through, but exactly. Yeah. But in that lens of 36 heirs of the Zodiac, the daimon is famous. And I, and I wanted right. to hear your thoughts on Thamus. And, and, and one thing I'd like to do, maybe first to, to prime the pump for that, mm -hmm. is to recite the sacred uh, Orphic hymn to Thamus. Oh, maybe fantastic. We can, maybe we can riff yeah, on let that. Me, let me grab mine, uh, too. Uh, yeah. Well, I've got see. Patrick Dunn's here, but there's yeah, other versions. Patrick's somewhere around. Yeah. Uh, sorry. It's, That's okay. It's hiding on me. I really, I have the Athanasakis here, but... Uh, <laughs> I love this. We're in the, yeah. the magician's workshop here. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where my uh, copy of, of Dunn is, which is annoying because it has the original Greek in it. I think it might be, hang on a second. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, no problem. Go ahead. And thank you all for uh, this. Let me take this opportunity. Thank you all for being here today. Please, if you have a chance, uh, hit the like button on this video. If you're new to the channel, please subscribe. I'm seeing some fantastic comments. Thank you for your super stickers and your super chats and all your wonderful questions for, for Susie and I today. Uh, I'm seeing that Castle Rock is talking about the double-edged uh, Ace of Swords. This is going way back in <laughs> our talk here. Um, yes, and, and the, the great reminder when Mars is transiting Gemini. Gemini. Um, yeah, we, we've just got lots of great praise for your work here, Susie. And it, so I just, I, I want you to know that because, you know, I, I know it's hard sometimes when we've got our nose to the grindstone to get that, that acknowledgement and everyone deserves to feel acknowledged. That. So I'm what do you so got glad. there? Okay. I did, I did find done. There you sideways go. Sideways on my, on my book. Well, yeah. What? Well, I'll, I'll let you do the honor. The, the, uh, the, the hymn to Thamus. Oh, okay. Do you want it in Greek or English? How about Greek first and then English? I okay. want to hear more, more of your Greek skills. <laughs> like, okay, I'll try to parse the meter on the fly here. Uranopairagmen kalo temen el paterean, gai estoblastema nein kalikopida curen, he prote katedeik sebrotois manteion agnon, delphicoien keuthmoni themiste usa teoisi. Pythioen da pedoi hotipa python em basileuen. He kai foi bona nacta te edidaxe. Pantim agla o morte sebasmian nyktipoleute. 
prote gartelatas agias, tne tois anefeinas, bakia hasana nuctas epeua zusa nacta, exel gartimai macaron mysteria thagna, alla macair, el tois cheharemene euphronibule, euirus epimisti polu teletasseu cure. Okay, so that's the hint of famous. <laughs> so cool. Very yes. cool. I think I only botched the meter on one of them. It's uh, oh, kind of hard to read a dactylic hexameter without meter markings, but... Uh, none of us are going to know. <laughs> Unless there's so, a native Greek speaker here, and there may be. <laughs> well, if you're there, a native Greek speaker, I apologize because <laughs> I use Reuclinian pronunciation, which is different from modern greek and i don't know Susie. i think you probably are <laughs> <laughs> it's probably okay but you know i think you're i think you're good <laughs> so here's the um here's the the athanasakis translation yeah. of yeah let's hear it. I, I like athanasakis mm -hmm. patrick is great but the athanasakis one is very true to the greek so i okay. tend to go there first. Uh, I call upon pure Themis, daughter of noble sky and earth, Themis the young, the lovely-faced maiden, the first to show mortals the holy oracle as prophetess of the gods in her Delphic hideaway on Pythian ground where Python was king. Mm -hmm. You taught Lord Phoebos the art of giving laws. Amid reverence and honor, you shine in the night, for you were first to teach men holy worship, howling to Bacchus in nights of revelry. From you come the honors of the gods, the honors of the holy mysteries. Oh, blessed maiden, come in a joyous, in a kindly spirit to your very sacred mystical rites. Mm. So, Themis, yeah, no, this yeah. is very typical Orphic hymn. There's the invocation at the beginning and at the end, the request to, you know, come to your rites. Sometimes right. it's a request to like bless, uh, bless the, the, the supplicant with a long, good life. Right. But in this case, um, which there's a connection here. Oh, and her incense is frankincense. Now, is this the version you use in your morning ritual? I use, um, I don't use Themis in my morning rituals. Uh, I right. use the planetary one. So, but with uh, that, with that book? Yeah, uh, yes, I think um, I use the Greek. So, oh, the Greek whoa. text is. Well, okay. <laughs> For those <laughs> so, of us who yeah. are in Greek. Um, so, I... like today would be the hymn to Zeus. How do you feel but... about the Taylor translation versus some I of these newer ones? Very witchy and nice and magical yeah. and i can totally see people getting into it yeah. not so accurate but that's sure. okay it gets the vibe you know i love the at least it rhymes it feels like a it little does you rhyme. know <laughs> like, nice. yeah i mean i appreciate that he made the effort and you know honestly as much you know i i like greek because i have just always been attracted to the sure. language but i i think that it doesn't matter what version you use. Yeah. You know, I think the gods don't really care what language we speak right. as long as we're saying what they want to hear. Well, and, and if, if you can gods say speak it, all languages. if you can say it in the original language, there's been centuries of energy that have yeah. been put into that. And I feel the same way on some level with the Taylor translation, which is why that's You're the one I use. A wave. Right, yeah. exactly. And then yeah. I like Dunn's translations and the and the ones that you are talking about there and the what is the I've got that on my yeah, I've got that on my yeah. shelf over there. <laughs> but like, yeah. I can only have a, so many books around me. <laughs> like, but, right. um, but but yeah, I think it's these are so instructive to me to understanding the essence of these deities and how ancient people thought of them and related to them. So break, yeah. break, break Themis down for us. What well, do we got I here? Think that we have so much in here that is, 
you know, um, that that is deeply related to the archetype we've been talking about, you know, uh, offspring of Gaia and Uranus, you know, mm -hmm. sky and earth. You know, right. so first of all, we have that she's an earth goddess at some level, uh, the maiden whose face is like a flower. Um, but there's all this, all this talk about Themis, the oracle in right. here, the, you know, right. and her relationship to Pythia, which mm -hmm. is, you know, where the oracle, uh, the Pythia was the, the oracle of Delphi, you know, who's, who sat over the rotting body of Python, the snake, inhaled the fumes and mm. was inspired um, by that smell, I guess, yeah. uh, to, to give oracles and prophecies. Um, so it says she taught Lord Phoebus, meaning Apollo, um, the the prophecy so there's that again that relationship between uh sun and mercury in virgo right mm -hmm. you know um and 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 so that there's uh there's something in here also about uh her being a a night roamer um uh, which mm -hmm. is which is nuktipoleote so the idea that um that in the darkness you have this um, this light of justice, which is oracular in nature, almost it's, it's, it's not something that you see with your, uh, with your ego, with your, with your conscious mind, but something that you interpret or interpolate from mm. signs and symbols. Right. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I think that there is, there is something in this that is deeply, um, deeply abstract, you know, yeah. Themis, you know, as opposed to being um, something you can connect with instinctively. Like it says that, uh, that, that, that she sort of um, brought, she, she came throughout the Bacchic night, Bacchiacas Ananuktas. Uh, so in Bacchic meaning, you know, relating to the, the frenzy and the disorder and the instinctual, parts of ourselves uh she brought order and she brought you know justice and fairness and balance to that right, right. so i think that's interesting this is um you know this is not as much of a impassioned uh him as one that sort of requests that somehow we um we create an intellectual structure that creates um harmony you know cosmic harmony and I've heard is, some. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, just the idea that the Greek concept of harmony has to do with things being in their right place. And okay. Themis, I think, famous, I think, is uh, literally comes from the word for to put in in the right place. Right. So, so the teacher of order, divine mm -hmm. law, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe teaching yeah. mortals the rules of incarnation on some level. Right. Right. right, right. Um. I've heard some theories that at the Delphic Oracle that there were fissures in the earth that had like some sort of hallucinogenic gas that was yes. erupting from them. Yes, yeah. that was the idea that the serpent Typhon died beneath those fissures <sighs> and that his rotting body was like letting oh, off these mephitic fumes. It's nasty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and Themis in that role was the, the voice or the deliverer of the Oracle of Apollo, right? So we have a connection yes. with Hermes there as, yes, as, a, exactly. as a messenger, right? Exactly, so, exactly. Very cool. Teacher of divine law, the voice of the Oracle. And, and with the third house in the Thema Mundi, I, I feel like that is the time before judgment, 
So it is the cadent house that comes before the, the, the angle that's related to Libra and the Thema Mundi and that mm -hmm. entering duat, as you were talking about, mm -hmm. with the weighing of the heart and the feather, within the judgment of Mott. So maybe you're getting, you know, a delivery before, before judgment yes. or something of that nature, right? That makes sense. I mean, I think, you know, there's all of these themes with these messenger gods and these, you know, and these disgusted maidens of, you know, of their cadent house themes, right? Yeah. Of mm -hmm. being on the move, of preparing right. yourself for the next big thing. Yeah. Well, and I also think that we've got the the joy of the moon, with the moon being the uh, the fastest moving of our seven traditional planets or luminaries in this case. Yeah. And I really see the third house as being related to the daily ritual versus the ninth house being related to like the, the pilgrimage to see oh, yes, the oracle then, then you have the delivery of it with the goddess and the god right so the joy of the sun or maybe apollo in the in the ninth oh, house you've got the sense. connection the joy of the moon you there you know, go being the sort of short trips yeah and the yeah. body right the the, the bot virgo relating more to the body than to the mm -hmm. maybe than the the thought process of gemini right so mm -hmm. the daily habits that we use to take care of a body a lot the of routines yeah. well i think modern astrology ascribes those to the sixth house but mm -hmm. traditional mm -hmm. astrology says the sixth house is like this is all the work that you do that you're not getting credit for like that you're a slave <laughs> right. to injury right. illness uh that being of the house of uh, malus 2k or the mm -hmm. random distribution of fate that is bad <laughs> like, <laughs> and and to me i don't know if like that really you know equates to this is my daily routine that makes me feel good like i feel right, like that's right. that's a third house thing actually that's yeah, like yeah no absolutely you know? so yeah all of the ways that you kind of get in the car and do your errands and your right. groceries you know right. that you have a regular schedule week to week and to me that's interesting that it's the joy of the moon just because the moon is you know is the translator of all light from beyond yeah. to the earth to the sublunar realm and there's you know there's a, a a rhythm to the moon cycles as well it's it's ebb and flow it's waxing and waning and it's right. influence on the tides interesting well and shu shu is pointing out of intercycle astrology praxis third house versus principles ninth and she mm -hmm. has a question for you can you tell us a bit about your praxis with the rites Oh yeah, so um, so basically, my rites are um, kind of a, a weird mix of ancestor and in these planetary rites. It's basically, and of course, the tarot. So for me, um, basically, what I do is I, you know, I set up the altar to the the um, the planet of the day. Obviously, Jupiter for today. Mm -hmm. You know, with the blue cloth and the blue shirt and the, you know, the everything, uh, and the incense and the perfumes, right? Exactly. I dressed so, up for this one. <laughs> you did. Thank you. So, um, you know, I make these zodiacal perfumes. So I put those in the diffuser. I, I'm doing using the Sagittarius perfume right now, just because mm. Jupiter's in Aries and at least it's in the right triplicity. Sure. But anyway, so there's that. And then I, um, I say the, um, I have a sort of a, a, a lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram variant that I created, you know, it's basically establishing the four directions. Um, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a mishmash of a whole bunch of different traditions. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, then I say the Orphic hymn to Zeus, and that's like a nine or 10 line thing. Um, mm -hmm. 
usually during the course of the day, I also do the hymn to the fates um, nice. just to keep it fresh in my mind and because they're associated with zoots. Um, and then I do, uh, then I do the card draw and leave it face down. And then this is a new addition to the practice. I also say the uh, Emerald tab Tablet of Hermes Trismegistus. Nice. I sort of feel like that's the Nicene Creed of occultists, sure. you know, and yeah. that it's worthwhile memorizing because it's short and, you know, reminding yourself as within, as without, as above, so below, that which uh, ascends to the earth, you know, falls from heaven and thereby all obscurity shall fly from you. Oh, it's a great, beautiful hymn, especially the Newtonian version. And yeah. it's it's great for helping you interpret an oracle as well. Nice. So I say that, and then I light up the ancestor altar. I start talking to my ancestors for mm -hmm. a while. I have, you know, various uh, things I say for gratitude. Um, and And then finally, once I've had a word with the ancestors, then I have a... Um, another sort of a credo that I create that essentially centers me at um, the center of the wheel, uh, because the wheel is kind of the, 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 the archetype of my praxis. And it's, it's, it's a statement of belief that kind of blurs the line between the backstage and the reality. Mm -hmm. So the idea that when I am in the moment of the ritual, that which is possible is that which is actual, right? Mm. So, um, and whatever intention I place onto the draw is going to, at some level, show up. Is, is your ascendant Pisces too? Yeah, Pisces seven. Uh, oh, Pis Pisces, seven. Pisces. Pisces. Which, which decan of Pisces? A uh, first. First. Decan. Oh, yeah, but Pisces one, uh, okay. seven degree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that, yeah. That feels very Piscean to me, like <laughs> yeah. like going into the, yeah, the matrix. Yeah. I mean, Hermes is always on the altar because right. he's right. helping me blur the lines. So, um, so after I do that at this moment where, you know, I have presumably removed, you know, put in the clutch and gotten out of gear <laughs> yeah. when it comes to reality, that's when I look at the draw and that's when I write a two line spell, just two lines because I can remember it over the course of the day. And, um, you have to show you today. Yeah, yeah. This is the fifth time I've gotten this draw in recorded history. It's seven wow. of swords and ace of pentacles. Nice. And, uh, and here's the spell I wrote. A golden sovereign, how you shine. By hook or crook, you shall be mine. <laughs> wow. I don't actually know what that means yet, but... Um, Very cool. But I kind of like it. How do you interpret the combination of those cards? What are you thinking? Well, Your energy you know, for the day? Yeah, so... Um, so usually with this combination, and I've I looked it up, I have a, a tool on the spreadsheet that allows me to see how it's shown up. One of your many were. thousands of spreadsheets, right? Yeah. yeah. So I'll, I'll read you the complete yeah. poem for the for this five time wow. combination, which cool. is uh, golden sovereign, how you shine by hooker crook, you shall be mine. Then double vision, native stealth, star of sweetness, seed of wealth. Um, mm. That's for Aquarius. Seeker, may your prize be found upon the wind or in the ground. So we've got the air and the earth nice. there. Riches in the rabbit hole. The trickster mind pursues the goal. Outer world meet inner world where all that's possible 
lies furled. So um, typically- Please tell me you're going to publish this in some form. <laughs> Please. Well, the, the problem, Spencer, is that yeah. there are 3,003 combinations. <laughs> well, so it may be my entire multiple, lifetime. Before. Multiple volumes. <laughs> I'm about, I've gotten 60% uh, uh, of them now. Okay. So okay. there's hope. Um, right. So the what I've found is that, you know, typically there's definitely an air-earth combination on these days. Um, there's always like for uh, one time I experienced many podcasts about outsider versus insider relationships, which I associate with the uh, the seven of swords. One day I made uh, star-shaped cookies, which ace of discs, you know, with nice. the pentacles on it. Um, uh, one time, let's see, it looks like I made a lot of perfume on days like that, which I tend to associate with the air suit, uh, paid bills one day. So, um, that's a ace of discs kind of a thing. First snowstorm of the year, ace of discs, uh, watched the Irishman once that, that movie, which was a big role-playing seven of swords kind of thing. So, you know, it's always a hodgepodge. This one doesn't have like a theme that is, obvious to me, but there's usually just air stuff and earth stuff that comes up. There's something about role-playing. There's something about, um, you know, about technical abilities with the seven of swords that comes up. And there's usually uh, either, either money issues or round carbs, you know, cookies. Well, well, you're definitely (laughs) displaying your technical acumen (laughs) expertise today. And I hope Hint, hint, audience, that it brings you money uh, from sales of your books and your courses <laughs> and all of those things. So do me a favor, audience, sign up for Susie's courses, buy her books. I mean, <laughs> I don't think you all, and, and forgive me for heaping praise on you, but I don't think everybody here, if they haven't figured it out already, that you are one of the most foremost experts of tarot in the world. So I, I, I and I, I don't give praise lightly. Because my standard is very high. So this is, wow, this has been so incredible. Um, I just want to tell you real quick, I pulled the five of pentacles reversed Ah. and the king of wands upright today. And the king of wands upright. Nice. So uh, So, five of pentacles reversed and the king of wands upright. So you've got the first decan of Taurus and, you know, the first and second of Sag with the uh, last of Scorpio in the king of wands. So nice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think King of Wands is, you. I mean, obviously you do this several times a week, but it's definitely something about your public persona and the thing that you deliver to people. Well, and I'll tell you, in my morning ritual today, I always actually start with Hestia. I, I, do op- you? I open with a hymn to Hestia to protect I the home and the sacred I do that every time I like the, the wood fire. Yeah. yeah. It's so a I, beautiful hymn. Too. Oh, I love it. And so I do Hestia. I do the planet, planetary hymn of the day. And then I, like you, I sort of mishmash some things. I, yeah. I speak to Ganesh and Lakshmi, and yeah. then I have a bossed prayer uh, to protect the f- home oh, and the family. Really? That's wonderful. Um, which yeah. is kind of neat. And then I do the the, uh, the ancestor. I talk to the ancestors, which is, you always got to talk to your ancestors. You have to and, talk to them. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and then pull the two cards and the, and the hexagram for oh the day. Oh, my God. So similar. So it's, it's very similar. So I was very, I was pleasantly surprised to hear that. And I yeah. Before uh, my, my lovely partner here, Tanya, goes, she's popping in for a second to, to talk about, uh, to give you props. And to, um, she says, y'all are rapping about hallucinogenic, hallucinogenic decaying snake fumes and Susan's super cool personal practice. Way to give me the FOMO. She, she is a wonderful um, practitioner 
and makes all sorts of wonderful uh, planetary-inspired oils and, and oh, osmotic material. So yeah. really great. She incorporates some of the hoodoo tradition in her works as well. Fantastic. Um, so she says, this is so juicy and red, I have to go manage a farmer's market, but you know, I'm going to circle back and watch the whole thing. Much respect to you, Susan, for your expertise and genius. So uh, I want to make sure that we got that in there. Um, okay, Susan, let me, Susie, what, what do you prefer? What do you prefer people Whatever. call you? Susie okay. is fine. <laughs> okay. so, so excellent to hear about praxis and the ritual, because th that really, I think, does reflect that third house Virgo connection, the voice of the oracle. Mm -hmm. um, one last Virgo thing I wanted to pick your brain about, I was listening to Fortune's Wheelhouse and one of the funny things that stood out to me was an archdemon that was uh, <laughs> <laughs> responsible for Satan's wardrobe. Do you know uh, this is what happens when you go, you know, go di deep diving in C 777 for too long. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I, and the, I was looking at 777 yesterday trying to figure out where the hell I got that from. And uh, yeah, if there's just a table, I think it's like 140 or something like it's in the hun low hundreds in in 777 which shows um yeah uh the 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 the, the archangel is uh is Mikhail I think so mm -hmm. you know your archangel of and and these are specifically angels and demons of hode okay. uh, so that's these uh, this is in the system of 10 okay. uh, where we have um an archdemon and an arch archangel for each. Now there's also like mm, sub angels for each of the suits, each of the subcategories. Uh, but um, but but yeah, the archdemon is Adramelech, <laughs> who is said to be in charge of Satan's wardrobe. Which is, you know, I I don't even know what that means. I don't know where Crowley got that. I love the idea though, because as we've talked about, there's these themes in Virgo of successive encasement. Yeah, right? yeah, you know, yeah. and of um, burying things and. Actually, when I was a kid, I used to like wrap stuff up in tissues and sheets and stuff. And my yeah. mom used to say, you know, they were they were art freaks. My parents, <sighs> she, she used to say, oh, you're just like Christo, who, you know, the guy who wrapped the bridges and wrapped right. Central Park. Anyway, so 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 maybe there's something there about encasement and burying sure. and uh, and going to the sunken place. But. Well, and I was I was trying to look up fashion designers, and one that really came to mind was Karl Lag Lagerfeld, or yeah. it, right? He's a Virgo, yeah. Um, yeah. and I can just I believe my Tanya was telling me yesterday that uh, Mugato is kind of a send up on uh, on Karl Lagerfeld from <laughs> Zoolander. Do you, have you seen Zoolander? Uh, no, but I've heard. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. he's the the very eccentric, like you know, tear you to bits type of thing, like dress you yeah. down type of thing. While you're paying attention to those details, so. I, I could definitely see like uh, prominent fashion uh, consultants totally. for for Satan being, you know, like related to this. So yeah. Uh, yeah, you were saying I mean, that. I guess that, so. I mean, Mercury does, you know, go go there as well as everywhere else. So. Right. Well, and you were saying, well, you know, red and more red. <laughs> like, so. yes. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So I think we got through Virgo. I think, man, we've covered so much ground here. So much. Holy cow. This is incredible. Um, so let's start heading around third base and heading for home here. What do you say? <laughs> sure. So one thing that I would like to do that we always kind of do here is I want to just briefly, briefly, briefly touch on the last quarter moon 
and see where this cycle is taking us. Okay, so I'm going to move the chart to the, uh, the last quarter moon here. There it is on September 3rd. We're seeing a square between the, the sun in the second decan of Virgo and the moon in the second decan of Sagittarius. Mm. Any quick thoughts on what we might, what kind of um, crisis of materialization we may experience with this, <laughs> as, as Rudyard would say? Yeah, well, I, I'm a huge fan of that uh, second uh, decan of Sagittarius. Um, I think it gets kind of a bad rap because of the association with the Rider Waite Smith Nine of Wands. Uh, I, I use in the eight, nine, and in the in Sagittarius one, two, and three, I use the Sagittarius motifs to kind of help understand what's going on there. And I think of the 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 eight of wands or Sagittarius one is the speed of the arrow and the nine of wands or the or Sagittarius two is the strength of the archer. Okay. And the 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 three of sorry the ten of wands or the Sagittarius three is striking the target, the sort of thunk when it hits the target. Right. So so there is immense tension in the nine of wands. I call that tensile strength because it's the pressure that the string is under in order to um, to to uh, release the arrow. And the greater the tension, the farther the arrow will fly. Okay. So to me, there's a there's immense aspiration in that um, in that decan, um, an immense ability, but also it's not comfortable right. <laughs> at all, right? You know, and as the sort of central uh, Deccan of Sagittarius, it also has a relationship to the heart of Sagittarius, uh, of Temperance, right, mm -hmm. which is the card associated with Sagittarius. So there's, um, if you imagine yourself as the Temperance angel, which in the Golden John tradition is uh, said to be um, Mikhail, actually, interestingly, um, you can, if you imagine yourself holding the, the, uh, the vessels and standing with one foot on land and one foot on the water, you've got like this, it's quite hard to hold. It's quite a difficult position and yeah. you're off balance because it's actually an asymmetrical card. Furthermore, in the tempers, we have all of these um, motifs of rainbows and irises within the esoterics. So this is also a messenger decan, um, okay. all of eight, nine and 10 of, of uh, wands. So I think there's a tension here between the thing that you're aiming for and the thing which is right at hand, which is, yes. you know, the Virgo one uh, decan. The big there's picture versus the, the process, right? Right, right. right. Virgo two, Virgo two concentrates on the refinement of the thing that already exists, okay. whereas uh, Sagittarius two is aiming for the thing that's far away. And that's okay. again, that Mercury, um, Jupiter, Tension. And also, I think with that Deccan, isn't it also the, the unification of body and spirit to, to hit that target, right? Mm, On yes, some I level, totally perhaps? I can see that. I can totally yeah. see that. Yeah. Well, this is prepping us for, first of all, Venus moving into Virgo and joining the sun. So moving into its fall, right? Right. <laughs> there we go. Right. And, uh, sorry. Right. <laughs> yes, correct. Um, right. Um, so a difficult place for Venus where we may be, you know, overworking something on some level i think this is what i relate to with this venus and virgo is like hey you know it's time to come up for air like mm -hmm. like when, on your project this is me you know erasing a hole in the page and saying no it's <laughs> and, and the way that i you know get past that is 
kind of that, I believe it's a Japanese concept called wabi-sabi. Are you familiar yeah. with this, right? Yeah. Where you, you leave the last 10, 15% to nature and mm -hmm. leave it unfinished. And, and that there's yeah. beauty in that. And I've had to remind myself of that often. That's right. That's um, right. And then this brings us to the opposition of the sun and the moon here at about 18 degrees of Virgo and uh, Virgo Pisces, Pisces. loaves yeah. and fishes. Exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah. give us a, a little summary of what we might be expecting at this full moon. Well, you know, I particularly love the Virgo Pisces axis. It's a huge part of my life. The um, not only, you know, I've got uh, uh, the three planets in Virgo, but also uh, North Node in Pisces and Rising in Pisces. So those. I think that with the moon in Pisces and, you know, um, there's always a feeling with this full moon, which I, I just love um, of, you know, that, that balance between surrender and control. Right. Right. Um, the, the, the image of the nine of pentacles uh, in with the Venus, Venus as the ruler of the Deccan in Virgo has that image of the Falcon. Mm -hmm. Right, where she's, and which of course has to do with control, which the idea that even with, um, you know, to, to, to train a wild animal like that to do your bidding takes immense discipline and immense patience and immense control. So when you think about that versus the nine of cups, where, you know, where you basically right. are He's all satisfied. feasting, yeah. <laughs> like. deeply satisfied. It's the card of wishes. Yeah. You get to choose whatever you want. There's a, there's a faith, I think, versus yeah. um, not skepticism exactly, but um, like discipline, faith versus discipline, I think, sure. in that, in that axis. So, you know, I, I, I think there's much to learn from, from sort of, um, maybe the way to to experience it is to be extremely focused and on task during the day and then giving yourself up to dreams mm. and wishes once the moon rises you know yeah and and you know there's also a fixed star in that decade called achernar which is related to that faith on myth mm. so maybe like sorcerer's apprentice energy where maybe not yes. overestimating your <laughs> abilities too right so like right. could be a danger with that and then you know the final thing with this chart is Mercury has just stationed retrograde. So maybe there is some some part of the process that needs to be reviewed at this full moon. Yes. Think, right? Yes, yes, so. yes. So we're going to have, so yeah, right now, um, I guess we have station retrograde is like on the ninth, is it, or something like that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's the day before the, the moon. The day before, and yeah. then it goes, um, yeah, uh, right. and we're going to be in virgo again through october 1st i think okay um yeah which is i'm i'm loving this because i have mercury at 29 degrees at the critical degree mm. and it's sort of like that lawnmower feeling of you know uh going over and over <sighs> that very sensitive point in my sure. my chart and you know my experience of the critical degree is just that like there's a critical mass of information <laughs> Yeah, for it sure. Just must come out now. We got that today. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Which is so good. No, no, don't apologize. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. It was, it was you know, exceeded my expectations. So thank you. <laughs> like I, um, it's really great. I, I'm just in awe of the way your mind works and 
And uh, you're really someone that I look up to. So this has been really special for me. Well, thank um, so, you so much for having me on. It's really a wonderful show that you have and tremendous work that you're doing. So thank you so much. I appreciate having the conversation. That means a lot to me. Thank you. All right. Let's put a bow on this. At the end of every show, if you've been, I guess you did some research again, like as you have to do of the show here, we, we pull an, an animal and a, an I Ching for the, for the lunations and for the, uh, you know, the astrology of the month sometimes. And this time we got, as our animal, we got the octopus, which uh, is kind of fascinating. What, what do you, what do you, what's your experience of the octopus? Well, first of all, you know, eight, we've been talking about eight this <laughs> right. entire time. Oh, right? yes. Perfect. Which I love. I think perfect. that's absolutely perfect that you, that you pulled that. And, um, and, uh, and what's more, the, 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 the octopus is, incredibly intelligent escape artist mutable yeah. to a fault right so all yes. of that seems to seems to be um right on target for virgo um and multitasking they can multitask, multitask. with their arms with That's the right. the mars and gemini factor potentially right yes Yes. No, I think that's, that's fantastic. What is the uh, oracle that you're drawing the animals from? So I have a book um, called Animal Frequency by Melissa Alvarez, and she includes all sorts of really interesting animals, both real and mythological, wild and domestic. So I just, I just flip through it, <laughs> you know, and just pull one every day. And then for these, and it's sort of like, it's not a deck, but I just go yeah. and pull it and, and, yeah, you know, it's this is what's so amazing to me that all of these things seem to relate to one another, to the lunation, to the hexagram. It all somehow works. So I, I'm not questioning it. I'm just saying, okay, here it is. And she she talks about with the octopus um, camouflage, staying out of sight, keeping quiet about your plans, um, a connection with ancient knowledge. Um, the male dies after mating, and the female and the female dies after the eggs catch. So I think that the themes we were talking about about passing on a legacy to the next generation and then returning the and energy to the earth. Withdrawing. Yeah. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. So that, that seems interesting. Um, blending in potentially like being flexible, like, like a mutable sign might, um, you know, require. They also, she also talks about a threat potentially being near. Don't get caught in your own ink. I'm thinking about this as maybe Mars and Gemini. It's probably important yes. not not to gossip or not to like use your words as weapons. Well, yes, right? yes. That's like that that ink. If you if you deploy the weapon, you're blind too. Right. Yeah. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. Interesting. And then the 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 hexagram that we got was number sixteen. Um, you which. What's yeah, go really ahead. interesting about that, it's thunder over earth, you wrote. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, thunder is used uh, when, when, um, when Crowley was assigning hexagrams, he did them elementally. So yeah. thund he used thunder for fire. Correct. He didn't use earth for earth, weirdly. He used mountain for earth. But the idea, this just, I looked at this and I was like, oh, fire over earth, you know, mm -hmm. which is the king of pentacles is the fiery part of earth. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Like kind of Making connections. So if he had used Earth <laughs> instead <laughs> right. of Mountain, this right. would have been the one. So Yeah, this know. translation I like is from uh, a Yale professor named Jack Balkin, um, who, you know, really leans into the, some of the legal ramifications of the, the, the book of changes and talk, he calls it the law of change. Mm -hmm. um, and I look at multiple interpretations. There's one by R.L. Wing that I really like, too. Um, 
But, but he has multiple words for this. Enthusiasm, stirring up, inspiring, broadcasting, undertaking, preparation, planning ahead, enjoyment and delight. And it's moving to the hexagram 51, which is shock, right? Thunder, quaking, upheaval, the arousing, shocking you out of lethargy, right? And you um, know what? That yeah. hexagram 51, that's the card you drew today. It's fire out of fire, fiery part of fire, the king of nice. wands. Well, there you go. There you go. I used to have a numerology book back in the day from Dusty Bunker. Have you, are you familiar with that author? No. <laughs> that was the first book that I experienced the Deccans in because in that book, they associate numbers with tarot and Deccans. Oh, and and they, they use my life path number, number 32. I'm a 32 slash five. And then the King of, of Wands is the card that's associated with that mm -hmm. particular relationship there. So yeah, um, yeah. Special card to me, for sure. So th there is a, a, a changing line here that I thought was, I looked at this and I was like, oh man, that's, maybe that's just a message for me. It says, enthusiasm <laughs> expresses itself. Misfortune, it says, careful, careful not to boast about important connections. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't flaunt your advantages and achievements. Uh, cover enthusiasm, um, over enthusiasm can alienate others and arouse opposition. Stay humble. Avoid self-aggrandizement, self self-promotion, and use enthusiasm to unite rather than divide people. Um, and I've really had to reel myself in this week because I've been so excited about having you as a guest. <laughs> Oh. And uh, and I hope I haven't been overly enthusiastic here today. Oh my goodness, is there but, such a thing, really? Yeah. <laughs> right, I mean, the thing about the King of Wands mm. is that, you know, his enthusiasm lights up the room. And, uh, oh, you know, yeah. he also is sort of a beacon and a guide for anyone who wants to do follow in those footsteps or do the same work or follow the same path, you know? Sure. So, so, um, so, yeah, I think there's much to love about that energy. Yeah, for sure. Well... I'm, I'm humbled by this experience, Susie, and I, this has been such a gift both to me and to the, the audience that we have here. Um, your wisdom is incredible, and the work that you've put in is such a legacy that you are passing on to these next generations, and we would not be able to do a lot of the work that we're doing without you paving the way. So again, I just want to thank you. Um, this has been really amazing. Um, and <laughs> it has been, it really has been. And thank you everyone who, who came today and gave good uh, comments in the chat here. Um, as always, make sure to like this video uh, and subscribe to the channel if you're new. If you have any final questions, we might be able to get to one here, but I think we need to like wrap it up here. Um, again, Susie, tell us about the things you have coming up, where we can find you and what, give us yeah. our, your last, uh, your last spiel. Yeah, so the the things that are coming up are um, Atlas Obscura, which is online now. Um, there's this, this is a course for the mainstream all through October. So for people who want to get up and running with tarot, like from history to the metaphysics of it to the actual praxis reading for people, you'll be you'll be through it by Halloween. Nice. <laughs> um, so that's on Atlas Obscura's site, and then um, then. Second cohort of God songs coming in September. Uh, if you really want to read the Iliad and the Odyssey, I do. Which version um, do you guys use there? Well, we needed to use one that was out of copyright, but you can <laughs> use we use the William Cullen Bryant translation for okay. reading. But you can use any any version you want. I have to the read La along. the Lattimore version. Is that Lattimore is the best? That's okay. the one I like. Okay, yeah, cool. Lattimore is right. it. it's the most accurate. Yeah, Good. it's a, the syntax a little weird, but yeah, it's it's great. I'll be there. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, and let's see, I'll be at Northwest Tarot Symposium at the beginning of 
October. Uh, and then I think in December is the Breaking Down the Borders Conference, which is virtual for the okay. IAA. And I'll cool. be at that talking about Deccans as well. Fantastic. And you have an Instagram and a Twitter as well? I do. It's T. Susan Chang for everything. Okay. Um, for Facebook, though, uh, slightly different. Uh, I'm basically most active there on the public group Fortune's Wheelhouse Academy, which is basically a, you know, sort of a fan group, but it's mostly people who are just interested in the esoterics of tarot and it's nice. a wonderful community. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's what we're all about here is building community. <laughs> so, so follow all of Susie's uh, channels, uh, purchase her books, save up, take the <laughs> courses. Uh, you won't be disappointed. I mean, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, we've got all these wonderful compendiums here. So, all right. And, and again, I put my Virgo Deccans webinar on sale. So get 20% off that for all of Virgo season. I do have a, a, a small announcement that's going to be coming up after the new moon about a, a, a group study thing that I'm putting together. So I'm going to wait to launch that. But uh, I should be back on Monday talking about the astrology of September. And I will talk about that more there. Susie, this was wonderful. Thank you so much for your, your wisdom. Thank you for joining me today. Um, and everybody out there, uh, make sure that you're kind to yourself during this period of time. Don't beat yourself up and, and be kind to one another. And we'll, we'll get through all these different challenges and growth processes together. Okay. We all will. right. Thank you, my friends. Thanks again. Okay. Thanks everybody. Bye-bye.